Cause when I smoke a blunt, I'm higher than a jerk steeple That's why I gotta thank God for what I was given My pockets are fat, and that's the way I'm really living craving a big sandwich okay and so there's a great place in hamilton called tall tree sandwiches I'll sounds like yeah you own the place i know <laughs> they got uh this really fat like honestly like i gotta like dislocate my jaw to eat this like chicken sandwich mm. um and good good sides i'll take you there one of these days when you're there yeah down. sounds good but for some reason they closed early it was like 6 30 and they were like, I walked in there. They're like, any guys giving me this? And I was like, what, you guys are closed already? He's like, yeah, sorry. We got to basically do these orders. And now I maybe it was because of that Arkell's rally show that was happening that night. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I read about that on Instagram. Yeah, it's been a thing. The Arkells are basically turning themselves almost into like a brand. And they're letting their music suffer because they have not put out a decent album in like six years and I'm, that hurts me as a fan honestly i'm just like i haven't enjoyed their their music lately it's because i yeah, think there's quite a party people i saw people sharing photos of it and yeah they, were, they made a beer for it and now it was only like 3.6 percent alcohol so it was kind of a lame beer but yeah and so uh, is they did make a beer lately. for it um <laughs> like so they they dropped the new song last week right and, and they used yeah. uh this friend this uh, montreal singer who's uh she was on the Light the Horizon Bedouin Sound Clash album. Uh okay. the song Brutal Hearts. Great, great duet between her and Jay. Um yeah. her name's Coeur de Pirates or whatever. I'm terrible at French names, but she's she's All a right. good singer. Um and then they got Allie and AJ. You know that family channel? Yeah, I know Allie and AJ. The one girl was in uh Easy A. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they got them to, on this new song and it's like they're trying to be like this kind of synthy 80s thing and normally that's my jam but the Arkellis is I feel like they've lost the touch they just their their music used to be effortless and it was catchy and it was great now it just seems like they're like look at us we are in your face with how cool we are and it's just like, I will say hot when I went to and don't my hot take <laughs> don't put this in the in the podcast oh what's uh, Alex well this part don't put in why? Because yeah, it'll gonna piss Alex off. Oh, whatever he pisses him off. Because Alex is a regular down at odds. Yeah. They all know his name. He gets free drinks sometimes. Often converses with the Arkells. Uh, but he took us there. And it was the stupidest thing. Like the foods, the drinks were really good. Food was a little hit and miss. And I got like this breakfast burger. And I mean the burger. And I'm like, where's the burger? <laughs> I looked and they charged extra for a patty. What? 
Yeah, and because I didn't tell the guy, I told the guy I wanted like the breakfast burger. They just brought me, you know, egg, bacon, and potato. And I had to ask specifically to have a hamburger patty with it. But I thought saying I wanted the breakfast burger was clear enough. I didn't get the patty. That is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they, they did have some good stuff on the menu. So, see, Alex knew what to order, so he had the wing. That was good. Uh, yeah, but it was – I was disappointed in that. Like, it was just such a weird thing. I've never been to a, a, a restaurant where you have to order your patty separately. It's a really good sports bar. Like, the the, the, the setup's great, you know. Um, you know, they got a good uh, lineup of booze there. Uh, you can get, like, a Tetra pouches filled with hard liquor, which is kind of neat. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just strange, that burger. It was, it was. I think this should piss never Alex seen that. off because, I mean, it's not like he owns the place. It's just. It's a place he oh, but he's, he's 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 very loyal to it. So what? Um, but anyway, the the other, so all right. So I go. By the way, I, uh, listening back to our old podcast, do you know how many times we say this won't be the podcast, and you leave it in <laughs> almost <laughs> every episode? <laughs> yes. Um. But anyway, I mean, part of it's like eh, it's not so bad. We can keep it in. And other times I'm just pure laziness, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So after so the tall tree place clo- is closed, so I'm like, all right, fine. Yeah. So there's this place called Carnival Cafe. I'm like, oh, that sounds neat. Big colorful sign, and they specialize in like, uh, uh, what's that called? When you go to like the C and E and the um, yeah, like like fair food. Yeah, it's uh, but there's Carnival uh, Cafe. That makes sense. What the? What's the? Uh, not, not main way. Um, Midway. Midway. Thank you. It's like Midway Fair, uh, but so they had like deep fried Oreos and Mars bars. Oh, and cool! All this stuff. They had like a foot long corn dog. Now I will say I was starving because that was literally my first meal of the day, um, and so I got like this chicken burger, and a corn dog, and an icy. They had an icy, and you know how many, how much I love. Uh, my you icy. love your icies, yes. When I dated that girl in Stratford. There was literally yeah. there was a gas station in Woodstock. I would always stop to refill because they had an icy machine. <laughs> um, You're brand the, loyal when it comes to I slushies. Yeah. yeah, no, no slush puppy bullshit. Do you get the blue or do you get the red? I get the mix. Okay, but uh, but anyway, so I I so I literally ordered two things, and. And they, so they gave me my IC. I fill it up, and the damn paper straw like fell apart in thirty seconds. So I couldn't <laughs> use it. I'm sitting there waiting for literally ever to, to have to wait for my food. There's lines forming behind me because they're like, "Here's your ticket. We'll call you out the back." Because I just yeah. wanted it to go. I was going to head home and watch the uh, rest of the Jays game, and yeah. um, and I was like, "All right, no problem." So then, like, a bunch of people ordered, and they're behind me. Like everyone's waiting for their food. Like it got to such a bad point. Like people are just making jokes. They're like literally just throw garbage out the window and we'll eat it. Like they're trying to get to the show, probably. Like these these kids and uh, yeah. like it's just funny. It got to a point where was, the service was so slow it was comical. And so you know me and my my uh, propensity for eating while driving. So yeah. I uh, I eat the chicken burger first. It's literally just like a couple of. Sloppy- I thought you'd eat the corn dog first. It's a little more. Uh- on the go friendly it's on a stick well i did eat that too but uh okay i was i ate the chicken sandwich and it's literally just a bunch of sloppy tenders it's not even a patty 
So they're like falling out of the damn sandwich and everything. The bun is soggy. I was like so mad. <laughs> Just picturing you driving down the road. God, that was terrible. <laughs> I literally took, I took one bite like Kramer. I'm like, ah, bush league. I was telling people at work of that story to, uh, this week. I forget how it came up. How you just oh, because we're talking about like throwing your napkin down over plates, and how <laughs> that used to be the Brian last thing to do. You used to do it to me if you thought I was savoring the dish too long. You go, it's over. Throw your napkin <laughs> on my plate, and then you did that right, like, almost right in front of the waitress too. You took one bite of your coleslaw and you went bush league. You threw your napkin on top of it, and she was like, "Yeah, it's not very good." <laughs> oh, I'm the worst. Yeah. But anyway, so then I so I I choked down this awful soggy mess of a chicken sandwich and I just made my I literally sat with one hand while driving with a ding thing of mustard, dipping this chicken at the corn dog. Like, but like did they season the chicken? Was there a sauce on it? Was there coleslaw on it? Like there was like lettuce, like you can get whatever you wanted on it. I'm just like, well, yeah. I'm not gonna get like ketchup and like burger toppings on it. So I just got like the standard like lettuce, tomato, garlic, mayo. And like onions and uh, okay, so it's just it chicken sandwich even... plus whatever you want. Chicken sandwich, Carl. <laughs> All right. Well, that 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 would I I fear for anyone who had to drive home on the escarpment with you angrily eating a chicken sandwich, probably throwing your wrapper out of the out the window out of anger. <laughs> Thank and God. Then... I bet you. I bet you. You annihilated that icy before you even left. Well, it took me for actually I couldn't because the stupid paper straw fell apart. So it's literally just this sad icy just slowly <laughs> melting in the hot thirty degree sun because this just took syrup. so long. This yeah. took so long. Yeah, it was basically blue raspberry red cherry mixed drinks like soup by the end. And I luckily had another paper straw in my car that I was able to finish the damn thing. But uh, yeah, bush league not going back there i don't know maybe i'll try it for the dessert those deep fried oreos if i'm hankering a sweet tooth but unlikely not bloody likely that's terrible (laughs) all right well we've definitely be bopped and scotted our way through this opening uh riff here um, as you can tell, Brian's had an absolutely miserable weekend. The hardships he has faced pale in comparison to anybody else, especially now. And uh, yeah, we, we all feel terrible for you, Brian. You know what? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> hey, we got the rascals to talk about. Hey, you're a fellow food bag. You should have been more sympathetic to my plate. Um, no, I, I'm, okay, nothing worse than a long line and nothing worse than when you have the long line and the food does not pay off. Yeah. Like at least if they're making your weight, make the food good. Yeah. But I am not a eat while driving, eat in the car type of person. Even if I was starving, I would let those pains increase, increase, increase and wait until I got home. Cause that's how I am with food. I I'm very much it's got to be just so I got to have my food in front of me. I got to have a certain thing to watch on TV. Uh, like I am very very particular about how I eat. You know I can eat breakfast quick, but lunch 
and uh, dinner, even at work, I could be busy. I'm taking my time to eat my lunch. And I've gotten, I've yelled at people for bugging me and asking me questions during my lunch. You're like Jack Black. No, and no one disturbs Silverman. me during my lunch. Pardon me? You're like Jack Black and Saving Silverman when they're, like, uh, they're trying to ring the doorbell and Steve's on like, where did you get the door? He's like, I'm eating. I don't get the door while I'm eating. He's like, since when? Since always. Oh, yeah. I don't like being disrupted. And it is a disruption. You know, you get only so many breaks in the day that are just for you. And I feel like lunch and dinner. Those are times that are just for you and you should enjoy them. How Because you, you, you're not going to get, especially with dinner, you're not going to get to eat again until morning. Maybe you'll have a dessert, but that's not a special. You know what I mean? So, so you want to make it count. So I would not have been uh, driving and raging out with my sandwich. I would have gotten home and, oh, okay, they're just chicken tenders on a bun. This was the big thing that took forever to make. Um, but I'm still going to eat it slow. That's how I would do it. So, yeah. I mean, this is my last thing and, uh, then we'll move on. But like, I mean, we've gone to like newer restaurants or places that have been hyped up and waited a bit for a table, but generally Mm -hmm. like, do you remember back in the day that, uh, Chuck's burger bar? Well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the issue with Chuck's burger bar, it wasn't so much the wait to get a table is that there was nowhere to wait to get a table. Yeah, and they had no vestibule, no sitting area. They had no bench outside. Like you literally had to wait beside someone else while they were eating. (laughs) It was horrible. Yeah, I remember. That's why they didn't last long. Somebody asked me if they were still around Chuck's Burger Barn. I'm like, no. And here's why. Were they on lock or Dundurn? Lock. Okay. They're on lock. Yeah. And that's why they didn't last. Like. All they had to do was get a vestibule. Now, granted, that does sound big, but it would have been worth removing some tables to put some benches down with some magazines or something like that. Have a spot for people to wait. And even if it's like, even if you're cutting down on the tables you're turning over, people aren't going to want to eat your restaurant if they've got some guy that looks good. What is that? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I felt like that looks great. I felt like I was in prison a couple of times. People were just like hovering over me. Like, am I going to get chived? This is my cousin. Ben, he's got uh, chronic bad breath disease. Can he take a look at what you have? Hello. Oh, that looks delicious. Oh, this is my wife, Wendy. She's got a goiter in her neck. Ah, that looks tasty. It's a salvation, or it's a salvatory salmon. Uh, he just like has an overactive salivary gland. Yeah. He rules on your food. Can I show you my collection of human shit? I never leave the house without it. Would you like to see it? Take a whiff. Um, I, it wasn't. Yeah. But, you know, it was that bad. Yeah. Okay. I'm not trying to say I'm not exaggerating. No, that, that that's bad. When people are intruding in on your eating, that is bad. And they can't have a conversation with the person that you're with. Yeah. Because I, you don't want some weirdo eavesdropping. Yeah. And uh. the, uh, but, like, I mean, I will say this. The food there was worth the wait. I'll give it that. Uh, and it was like, it was worth the hype. Um, yeah, you just had to go on off hours. Yeah, but that's what You I'm had to saying. go late in the afternoon, like in between lunch and dinner or at, just before close. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's it's one thing if it's a long wait or it's a little pricey or it's like gets a lot of hype, but then it turns out to be worth it. It's a whole other thing when it's just this over bloated mess of a shit storm that's just not... Uh, doesn't live up to like the quote Flav of Flav. Don't believe the hype. 
Yeah, well, you know what? Partially, you got to blame uh, the other restaurant there for closing at 6.30. That's dinner rush. That's prime serving time. I'll throw in one more Bush League. And then ridiculous. We'll move on. Bush League. Yeah, that is Bush League. You're right. Throw that napkin over their food. <laughs> All right. We're here to... Oh, by the way, this is Canada FM, the podcast where we talk about bands that made it in Canada but didn't quite reach the same amount of fame in the U.S. Wow. That took a while for us to get to that point. Wait, <laughs> hey, the, the, the Biff Naked episode took like 12 minutes of preamble. We're talking about the Rascals today. One of Canada's essential hip-hop groups. Yep. And they have the essential Canadian hip-hop song that took... We, and we covered base one, basically, with Maestro. This was like step two. Northern Touch was the second wave of hip-hop in Canada. That really, you, you rode until about the late aughts, and then as classified was kind of the, represented that new wave, and then now it's Drake World, and it, it's it's the you know the hip-hop capital of the world. Well, but you know, uh, the so Rascals were, were very important in that. You know what's funny? Before we mm-hmm. touch on the Rascals, so uh, you know how when we did Maestro, I edited that video of like Canadian hip hop acts just to show how great they are. You know, and I threw in like a clip of Shad K, uh, classified chaos, all these people Cardinal. So I did a second one for, in honor of the rascals. And I'm like, I burned through all the people I know in the first one. Like I was able to put in (laughs) shot Claire. Yeah. And then I was just like, so I had to go like just such an old, it's like, okay, boomer moment. It's like, uh, it's like make way for the next generation gramps. So I had to like, uh, Google, like newer people to put in i was like yeah i I had not heard of half of them some of them were pretty good some of it was just like that kind of new age trappy mumble rap shit that i hate but i'm just like it's nothing against that uh, it's the sign of the times did you get uh sweatshop union in there no sweatshop union's awesome well when we do a third rapper we'll put i'll remind me i'll put them in there But uh, there is this artist, actually, I really like, named Solitaire. Um, hey, Solitaire's worked uh, with, with the, the Rascals. Rascals. He's on yeah. a couple of these tracks here that we're about to cover. Yeah, and uh, there's a yeah, few Socrates? Other Socrates, I put on the first one. Oh, okay. Although okay, I, what about Ghetto Concepts? They were good. No, I didn't add them, so I'll have, I'll have a couple more to add. I still got to add, like, Julie Black and a few other people. Well, Julie uh, Black's more R&B. You get Mishi Me. You get Mishi Me in there. Yeah. First lady of Canadian hip hop. Yeah. Um. Oh, who's the other one? Ah, we'll get to them. There's another. By the time you're hearing this, it'll be on the Instagram. So check it out. Uh, There we go. Um. If there was a Rushmore, Mount Rushmore of Canadian hip hop, uh, Rascals, uh, which we call it, Maestro. Maestro. And you have to put Drake on just for sheer popularity. I know mean. you gotta put them on for popularity though, <sighs> and then I guess your other one could be uh, uh, I don't know. Me, you can put uh, what the what's the fucking name of that group? Oh god, this is gonna drive me crazy. Hold on. Oh, the um, uh, hold on. I'm I'm gonna have it in a second. Rap. Speaking of rap, I watched Boys in the Hood last night. Still such a great movie. You know, I've actually never seen Boys in the Hood. Really? 
Never seen it. Yeah, just hasn't I think, come around. That's. I think it's on Netflix. That, that's an essential. Oh, here we go. The Dream Warriors. Right. Yeah. The Dream Warriors or Mishimi could easily take up that other spot. Right. All right. How have you not seen Boys in the Hood? It is like it's the just, West, it, it hasn't happened. It's the West Coast answer to like do the right thing. Except actually, it, it's got a it's got a John Singleton. It's a little different than do the right thing. No, I know. do the right actually, thing is it takes place over the course of one day. Uh, it's not about gangs. It's all about gang culture. Uh, Boys in the Hood. This well, is a totally different movie. It's it's layered. It's a very layered movie. It's it's gang culture is just one part of it. It's part coming yeah. of age because John Singleton was actually highly influenced by Stand by Me of all films. He was really young too when he directed that, wasn't he? Twenty four, like the youngest person yeah. to get nominated for an Oscar. Black director, good for him. Yeah, yeah, he passed away about two years ago. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I got but, big. Uh, all right, I think that we we should start fresh because we should re- edit out a lot of this rambling. Yeah. But I got in big trouble on Instagram when he uh, he had a stroke. Why? Because well, I liked his work, and um, what's called um, Spike Lee shared that he had had a stroke on his Facebook on his Instagram account. I follow Spike Lee. So I wrote, you know, I always thought he was really underrated. I really liked these movies. I listened to like three movies that he did. And I was informed in no uncertain terms that I did not know movies because he's rated right where he should be. Who said that? A bunch of people I've never met before. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I learned that there's just some things that aren't worth commenting on and I don't need an opinion on. I'll just. I mean, uh, to quote Pulp Fiction, to quote to quote Pulp Fiction, certain issues. My name is Paul, and this is Tween Y'all. <laughs> uh, John Singleton's great, but uh, I mean, he had an. He, he's like a Spike Lee. He has when he's great, his films are amazing. When he's off, they're stinkers. Well, for most of those directors, not so much Spike Lee, but for Singleton, he he direct like he directed Too Fast, Too Furious. Right. That's a studio movie. Right. Um, you got a lot of directors like him who go into a studio movie and they're at the mercy of the studio. It doesn't matter how good a director or how good a writer you are. Right. So if a movie like Too Fast, Too Furious comes out and it's shit, yeah, it's not uh, don't really necessarily a blame movie. him. It's not yeah, exactly. You know, you get a movie like Boys in the Hood or uh, Four Brothers is one that he did that I really liked. Yeah. Um, you know, I even really liked uh, Sam Jackson's Shaft. Uh, yeah, I, I like thought that, that was really good. Yeah, you know, um, I even like the 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 sequel or reboot, whatever the frig you want to call well, it. Well, that that one I didn't see, but you know, those movies where he, he you know, you you've got kind of your own thing and your own, you know, that that that's, and they don't make that many of those anymore. It's just yeah. how it is now, you know. Higher Learning apparently that's a really good John Singleton movie. I haven't seen, but I've heard good things. All right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Let's get back to the rascals, shall we? Yeah. We've talked about the Mount Rushmore of hip hop. Now let's talk about the weird three faced monster we're going to put on the uh, Mount Rushmore of hip hop <laughs> because everyone else has their own face. The rascals would be like a weird, you'd have to get Red One, Misfit, and uh, Chemo either, uh, either all combined or just three separate little heads. It'll look like the Goonies guy. Yeah, there you go. All right, but the, uh, let's get back. We like to do this. Man, is it just that we're, like, laid back tonight? Or it does feel weird. 
It does not not weird. It just feels like it's a different vibe tonight. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like tired or just laid back. I don't know. Well, I'm tired and I got all like uh, I basically had all these annoying things happen to me yesterday and today. So I've kind of like raged out. So I'm yeah, a little, I'm a little sleepy. It's a weird vibe tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, do you want to try this again later in the week? Because I can also bring the script down with me. We record when I'm down. No, no, it's fine. We're we're fine. It just uh, all right. It just we'll keep going. Uh, I also had um, an idea that I'll discuss at the end of this recording uh, for what we can do when I'm down. I had a pretty good idea for an episode we can do. All right. All right. All right. Well, when was the first time, and you were in on the rascals on the ground floor, that you heard of the rascals? Well, I wouldn't say ground floor because of uh, you. You were okay in in your Rascals was one of your first bands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I just saw Northern Touch and my brother. That was there. Like I said, I've said this on multiple occasions. My brother and I don't agree on music too often. I can probably fit like five or six bands in that list that we both could tolerate, and the Rascals were one of them. And Northern Touch was very infectious. And it uh, it just kind of sucked me in. I think my brother, because we couldn't share things, because we are we're terrible to each other. I think we both got our own copies of Cash Crop. Um, but he, I think he lent it to me once. I listened to it. I went out and got my own copy, and I even got a T-shirt, like a mail order. I remember the T-shirt. I think I was able to wear it once, and then it shrunk, and I kept growing. And I was like, well, there's twenty dollars down the drain, but whatever. You know, you. I remember you used to wear it with like a really long, like undershirt underneath, and that's something that's kind of grown out of style. Like I, I was wearing, I'm just, I'm just bumming around today. It was kind of cool up here, so I had a hoodie on, and I looked. I had like my t-shirt sticking out underneath, and I had to go into work for a little bit. And someone's like, "Oh, you forgot to tuck in your shirt." I'm like, "No, no, no. This is how we used to wear it back in the day. Yeah, yeah your sweatshirt. And you had a little skirt sticking out before your pants. Yeah. That's the way it was. We liked it. <laughs> we loved it." Loved it. Well, that's how we dressed. You had that little bit of t-shirt poking out. I think you did that. I remember seeing LeBron James before he even got drafted. He presented an award at the MTV uh, Music Awards. And he was wearing, you know, that Bob Marley shirt my brother has where it's like half Bob Marley's face, half lion. You mean the shirt that like everyone has? Well, Alex has a shirt too. I've seen other so Lebr- LeBron has this one as well. So he's wearing this shirt, but because he's LeBron James... And he's huge. And like, oh, he goes up to like his midriff. So he had like this super long undershirt on underneath. <laughs> I just remember that. I'm like, hey, that's taking that look to the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I remember my first time actually hearing uh, the Rascals. I actually kind of predates me hearing Northern Touch. Northern Touch might have been out, uh, which of course was like way up, climbing the charts like crazy on the Much Music Countdown at this at this time when I started following them, religiously following the Much Music Countdown. But it was actually you and me went over to Scott Langert's house to watch the Much Music Video Awards um, after school one night. And this would have been 97. And I got it mixed up. I, I didn't really realize that Much Music was a separate thing from MTV. I just thought there's one channel that plays music videos. Must be the same thing. And I remember seeing the MTV Music Awards before and then watching the Much Music, and it's just this giant party. And I remember Blur played 
a couple of Canadian bands played. I don't remember who. Maybe the Tea Party. But I remember the Rascals were like the one hip-hop band that played. And they kind of stuck in my head there. I think they did Dreaded Fist. Okay. And then you turn on Much Music and watch the countdown, and there's Northern Touch. And it's the biggest freaking hip-hop song in Canadian <laughs> history. And no disrespect to uh, Maestro. As important as Let Your Backbone Slide was, Northern Touch was even more important. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I did find this out through researching the Rascals. There is a ton of information on Northern Touch. (laughs) CBC did an oral history about Northern Touch, about every freaking detail about that song. Trying to find just Rascals history. I had to look up all of their real names separately. I forgot to put them in the script. I did that just before we went on the air here, which is actually an hour ago because we spent so long talking about other bullshit. (laughs) But it took me forever because everything is about Northern Touch. Well, we're here to tell you that the Rascals, as great a song as that is, are about a lot more than Northern Touch. So we're going to jump right into it. They formed in 1989 or 1991. Right there. Still inconsistencies. <laughs> Couldn't find exactly what year they formed. <laughs> but they did form in Vancouver with an original lineup that consisted of MCs, Red One. You know what, Brian? We get some cool real names. Sometimes you get a real name that is so cool that you wonder why on earth would they use any other name? You know what Red One's real name is? What? Romeo Jenkins. Oh, Romeo Jacobs. Romeo Jacobs. It's a That's great, a cool name. It's a great name, but it's, it seems like more of an actor's name or like a, uh, a singer. You think so? Um, it, like, honestly, I'm picturing Red One like leaning over an acoustic guitar. That seems like more of a singer-songwriter <laughs> kind of thing than a, uh, a rapper. So I can see why I went with Red One. Well, Misfit was their other MC, and his name's if if if, if Red One if Romeo Jacobs sounds like a uh, a singer, how about this one? It's this sounds like a leprechaun, Barry Patrick Leonard. It's Misfit's real name, and then they also had with them their DJ DJ Chemo, real name Christian Bahamande. And I should also with Chemo. I don't know. I do know that DJ Kimo is also a very accomplished graffiti artist. Yeah. So it might have been his tag. Maybe. That sounds about right. Because you got to have a short tag. Bahamande is a long name to spray paint. <laughs> That's going to take you a little while. Uh, you may rem- remember, though, when you bought uh, the Cash Crop album, it wasn't just the three of them. There was other guys in the artwork. Yeah. Those other guys were Zebrock and Didos, breakdancers who for the first two albums uh, toured with the Rascals, danced with the Rascals, they were at all their shows. Yeah, they were part of the part of the part of the scene, man. It's you know, it just goes to show how bloated the music industry was back in the day when you can afford to have those things like the Salads had their dancer, Less than Jake. Yeah, Libido. Yeah. Uh, Less than Jake had their little skeleton man, uh, guy with the like, Don't forget the about band. Ben Carr. Yeah. I mean, he was also their manager, so that's a bit different. Yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, the, yeah, it's just the fact, it's just like, look at this guy. He just dances. I I bring this up a lot, but there's certain repeats that you do. Um, So I got some repeats too, but yeah, my wife is a big. You don't stop busting my Apple bag over it, but if you were going to do a repeat, I wouldn't throw it in your face. 
Yeah, well, you can throw it at me. I'm fully admitting to this. My because I, I mentioned them a lot in the Great Big C episode. My wife's listening to that podcast that's hosted by the McElroy brothers. My brother, my brother, and me. Part of the podcast is um, they take advice. They go on like Google Answers and they give their advice. And one was from a guy who was like, "I know that's like every podcast where they give advice. It's time for advice." With we don't me, have an advice Billy Burr. Pardon me. We don't have an advice section, and if they did, anyone gave me advice, I'd tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's your answer for everything. Well, I mean, because um, Jake no, always... you're, you're, you're them all to splash some cold water on their face is what you would do. <laughs> That's legitimately your answer for everything. But uh, this the one guy's question. The only advice anyone's ever given me about this podcast is Jake, and he's like, type 45. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that a lot. That are st- <laughs> We just need to stick to the music, man. Stick to the music. No one knows you. They're not going to care about these long-winded stories. <laughs> well, this is why we do the podcast to tell long-winded stories. To quote Denzel Washington, I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> but anyway, the McElroy brothers, the question they were getting advice on was this guy was like, um, there's a girl I really like, but she's only attracted to musicians and guys in bands, and I don't play any instruments, and I'm worried if I learn one, um, I'm going to sound really crappy and she's not going to like it anyway. What do I do? And they were like, you got to be like the guy in the Boston's. You got to <laughs> go with the guy in the Money, Money Boston's. Watch the Boston's videos. Learn those dance moves. They were just promoting the shit out of the Boston's. Yeah. That's hilarious. Actually, another Boston story. Talk about Ben Carr. My friend Zane told me that he uh, hitchhiked to Lollapalooza one year when it was in Toronto. This is back in the mid-90s. And... To get his way there, to get a ticket to get in, uh, I'm not going to give you his last name because this is some illegal activity, <laughs> but back then he sold some acid and he sold some acid to this military guy and he went away and he came back and they were worried. They thought this guy was going to kick their ass, but it turns out he like thanked them for the acid. He was a really, really happy acid head. <laughs> and um, he sat down with me. He goes, you know who I came to see? And he goes, who? And he goes, the mighty, mighty Boston's. And at the time, the Boston's hadn't blown up in Canada yet. And he's like, oh, who are they? He goes, they're a ska band. And they got a guy who just dances. <laughs> no instrument, no singing. He just dances. I think he did the occasional background vocals, but that's beside the point. Apparently, it was a lot like the guy that Jason Bateman smokes weed with in, uh, in uh, Extract. extract. <laughs> just super intense military guy, right? And he's high off his gourd on acid going off on the Boston's. So that hey, was how I he mean, first heard of them. People have ranted at me at concerts about the most useless shit. I wish people ranted at me about the Mighty Mighty Boston's. I'd be there for it. <laughs> oh, but anyhow, the Boston's only had one dancing guy. The Rascals had two dancing guys. <laughs> so there you go. From what I gathered, now, Brian, this is kind of refreshing because so often you see these bands that are formed by record companies or session musicians. Uh, The Rascals were a group of friends from Vancouver who loved hip hop and decided to form a group. It's that simple. And they were one of Vancouver's first hip hop acts. And because they were one of the first hip hop acts, when big artists came through Vancouver, they would want local talent to perform for them because hip hop hadn't quite blown up in Canada yet. We're early nineties, late eighties. They got to open for Busta Rhymes and the Fugees 
before anybody else had heard of them in Vancouver. Actually, That's pretty me, cool. Let me backpedal for the dancing thing for one second. Okay. Uh, the Rascals aren't the first people to have technical dancers like that because Public Enemy did it first, but that's beside the point. First in Canada. Sure. There you go. There we go. B Boys, I believe they're called. B Boys. Yeah. They're B Boys. Yeah. Wasn't that, doesn't that predate B Boys, though? I think B Boy, if you're a B Boy, you're just a break dancer. Oh, okay. I think. Could be wrong. We could get a lot of heat for that comment from professional break dancers, but pardon me? You see me dance. You you think I know thing one about anything related to dancing besides the Carlton? I know. Although at least I'm not Jake doing the finger snap to Bruce Springsteen off time. God. He looks like he's having palpitations when he's trying to dance. I've seen it happen. It was like it was like you remember on The Simpsons when Lisa she she thinks she's stupid, she forgot how to play her sax. Yeah. It's all out of whack. And Homer's like, now nah, you're swinging, honey. He's like, beep, up, beep, up, beep. He's dancing down the hall. That's Jake dancing. Who was it? Because I couldn't go to the prom because of uh, my foot, uh, my yeah. operation. Who was it? <laughs> you said who's dancing. They're like, ha, ha, ha. Basically, Jake. I thought that was Campbell. <laughs> that was Jake. Campbell was not prom. I was right. Campbell, the only time I ever saw Campbell dance was at Brandon's uh Wedding, and I see you and him were walking. He'd scoot across the dance floor, and was like, <laughs> sha, 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 and move his arms a little bit. Yeah, he's and like, You're losing control because that's, that's how he's every time you, you just scoot across the dance floor. He's like, I do it quick and I do it short, and that's all you get out of me. <laughs> short bursts, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, there's actually a cool interview that I saw the Rascals do with the legendary Master T. In Rap City back in 1997, where they talked about laying the foundation for Canadian hip-hop. So basically, they predicted that Canadian hip-hop would supersede the U.S. market. There's a crop uh, crop of brand new uh, hip-hop talent bouncing out of Canada. The labels like right now, like they're starting to focus on this music because they see they can't really ignore it no more. And it's kind of it, it sucks that uh, if artists have to leave Canada and go across the border, they feel they have to go across the border to, to come out and with their material. When really there's enough talent here and there's the people here to support it, and it's just right now the labels see that and they're just taking their time out to to build and from that once the labels start that makes that that it's like a a domino effect for everybody for like the people in the studios the people who press records the groups the record stores that means more of everything for everybody because now we're concentrating on it and we're building an industry and a, and some unification you know what I'm saying are they ever right now i mean I, I wouldn't say Canadian hip-hop on the whole. I'd say two Canadian artists. But mind you, Drake Drake did it in Toronto. But, I mean, The weekend pretty much did all of his success in the States. But he's from Toronto. Right. But I'm saying it's not like the you know how the Rascals, you know, formed in Vancouver, recorded in Vancouver. Everything was right. homegrown. The weekend was born here and then West Coast. Peace. You know what I mean? It's not home nurtured talent. But the, Drake was like an actor. I know. It's not like he toiled through the hip hop game. He made friends with Jay Z when he was out trying to get an acting career, and he became a superstar. Yeah, and that that amongst nine hundred other reasons is why I don't respect Drake. <laughs> well, here's one for you. 
Did you know that the Rascals were originally known as the Ragamuffin Rascals? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making that up. It would get shortened to Rascals about 1993. And they are off. The 30s? (laughs) I I like it, Ragamuffin. Is that what Burns called Lisa when he didn't understand what recycling was? Yeah. He's he's trying to go through his mental dictionaries like, recycling? (laughs) The only word he could come up with is Ragamuffin. Well, the Rascals are often incorrectly credited as Vancouver's first rap group. However, there's a couple of people that predate them in Vancouver. EQ, Craig Crush, and Mike Desire. At least one of them, you have to refresh my memory, I think at least one of them worked with Maestro. It might have been two of them, but those names sound familiar. And I'm learning as I'm going one. with the Canada's hip-hop history here. So please forgive me yeah, yeah, if you're looking great. for an expert on this. I learn as I go. That first one sounds familiar. That EQ. I, re- I think I remember you talking about, I don't know, is that a guy or a girl? EQ. I don't know. <laughs> it's all right. I think I remember hearing you talk about EQ in the Meister episode, but I don't know. Either way, move ahead. Plow ahead. Anyway, um, however, now they weren't Vancouver's first rap group, but they can be credited with coming up with Vancouver's now international nickname, Van City. The Rascals came up with that, and that's a term that is now used worldwide. So, there you go. I told you they were more than just Northern Touch. Well, actually, uh, was it them that said it? Because it wasn't, uh, didn't Shaw Claire say Van City? Hold on, Van City All Stars. No, that's in their part. Okay, right, right. Because okay. then he's like, "Yes, for the Northwest, Van City." <laughs> ah, right. Oh, does that? Ah, yeah. <laughs> well, their debut album, "Really Living," would be released on a Calabash Records in 1992, and would be given a re-release treatment the following year when the group signed with Sony Music Canada. Uh, before we even get into the album, we're going to talk about awards because, again, the Junos are weird and we're going to see how weird they are going forward here in just a little bit. But the first run in the Rascals had with the Junos was that Really Living, both its original release and its re release, would receive Juno nominations in both 1993 and 1995 for Best Rap Recording. So just because they gave it a re-release, it got reconsideration again for the award. Uh, unfortunately, they would actually lose both times to Devon's album, Keep It Slammin', and the Ghetto Concept album, Certified. So there's Devon. There's another guy for you to look up for that video. I've never heard of him. Yeah. There you go. Um, let's jump into this because there's no singles really released from this album there's not a whole lot to talk about uh the first thing i wrote about this album was the jazz samples because they are littered on basically every single track i think maybe if they ditched either zeb rock or didos uh and brought in a double bass player instead for the live performances that would have been really cool yeah that would have sound dope but uh I don't know. I really dug those jazz samples. It, um, I did at times. It there was a point where it's like less is more. I felt like it's okay. I feel like the some of the horn riffs and samples things that they were using were a little jarring. 
it's it's almost like what PE tried to do with uh, I think it was Fear of a Black Planet, where they were using like uh, or no, what was the one? Uh, shit, there was a sample that they used where it sounded like a tea kettle. It was like eh! it was just it drove people nuts, and but <laughs> like uh, it was just it was that's who Public Enemy was right there in your face, and I think they were trying to mimic that a little bit, and even like. Um, because I'm, I'm always listening to it when I'm walking or driving, so I don't have time to make notes. But there was one song near the end. I think it was either Funky Migraine or Frankly Speaking, where there's like a mm. guitar where it's like a... It's like that, that was another... like Because Public Enemy sampled a Prince guitar riff where it's like a... I think it was like off of Let's Go Crazy or something. And I think they're almost trying to mimic that as well. Okay. Um, but my You favorite... have to forgive me because I went through this discography about two weeks ago, so I've written down some tracks that I really dug. Yeah. Uh, but my I don't f- necessarily remember how all of them went. Oh, no. I listened to it this morning. That's why it's fresh. Oh, like, okay. I, I, I yeah, really yeah. listened to it. But uh, yeah. my favorite one, without question, was uh, Slapstick. Um, yeah, Slapstick was one of my favorites, too. And I Frankly love- Speaking, which you already mentioned. Yeah, I, I also liked how they, uh, they used the sample when they were doing the scratches of Method Man in Protect Your Neck. I don't know if you caught that. Yes, I did catch that. So, you know what? They're one of those bands that would sample other hip-hop artists, too, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, also really dug the opener of this album, uh, Really Living. Yeah. I thought that was really good. And it's a nice, breezy 37 minutes. Yeah. Um, I sh- Sorry, I know, I know you've already... You're going to mention it in the script, but uh, I agree with you. The, my, my biggest gripe in, like... Because there's no real singles, because I think one of the problems, and they get better at this as time goes on with each passing album, is because neither of them are hook guys, right? They, yeah. Whenever any of their biggest singles, they have someone come in like, you know, Cardinal does the Northern Touch Hook. Uh, Barrington Levy does the great one on um, Top of the World. And, you know, they got other people to do it. So they did, because it was just the two of them, they didn't really uh, have anything to hook people in, make it catchy or stick. Everything, it's literally just them just laying out bars for like three minutes, lay it out, lay it out, and it's over. You know what I mean? Nothing really. Yeah. It's like a veggie wrap. There's just nothing of substance that sticks to your ribs. You know what I mean? It's good stuff. You know, and I've seen. I'm not saying it's not I've good. I've seen. Because they're very Other hip hop. Other hip hop acts, and you can even say early days of Tribe Called Quest were sort of like this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Where, in lieu of a big hook, they would have a big kind of like instrumental breakdown. Yes. In between exactly. the two verses. Yeah. So that would act as a hook. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really do that here either because you're looking at, you know, a, t- a style of music where repetition can be frowned upon because it's, you know, improvisation and soloing and stuff like that and jazz. Yeah, so but. they they didn't really I think they they kind of missed an opportunity maybe there to do it. Um, well, like uh, in I forget what documentary I saw, but they they were talking about I think it was a Public Enemy one, but they're talking about using the turntable as its own weapon or not weapon as its own like instrument, right? Or it's yeah, like that, that's how they are put their own stamp as a member of the band. And like Kimo, yeah, he makes the beats. But like once the beats are made, he's not really putting his own stamp throughout the album, right? It's just like he could be doing. No, he, he, and he produ- He is their producer on every album. No, I know. But I'm saying is like he yeah. could be doing those scratches, adding a little interlude in between, like red one to misfit or back and forth. You know what I mean? Where it's just like it seems mm-hmm. like it's just like they're so 
quick to want to rush through this. Like you said, it's an, a breezy 37 minutes. It's, it's, it's a quick uh, listen, yeah. There's, there's nothing to really kind of let it... Because like, normally the thing about hip-hop, it's almost like a game of double dutch, right? Where you got to, like, get into the flow, and then, like, you want to give a minute. So when they're scratching, that's how you kind of get your head into it. You find your rhythm, and you jump in. Here, it's just mm-hmm. like... It's like they're both trying to sprint to the finish line. Well, here's their writing style, because I don't know if I'll be able to bring this up. But I saw an interview with Misfit, and he said, this is, especially back in the day, this is how they write songs. Okay. One of them, either Red One or Misfit, would come up with a cool title. Then they would each write one or two verses involving that title. Sometimes they've got nothing to do with one another because they don't collaborate on a verse. Right. Misfit would write his, Red One would write his, based on that title or based on the story one of them were trying to tell. And then the other person would add in a verse. And that was it in the early days before they had producers and big labels telling them to do and giving them guidance. That's just, they, they wrote what they knew and it was, it was a little bit rudimentary. Of course, they're excellent lyricists. So it's not like we're dealing with not by choice here in the (laughs) pop world. You know, these guys. Sorry. uh, This goes back to either Maestro or actually it must, it would have been swollen members because there's more than one person, but uh that is my biggest gripe with hip-hop is when like one thing doesn't feed into the next like the guy's like and mm. it's a breezy summer day as i walk down the street and the guy's just like and the next guy pops in it's like it's a cold dark night and i'm sad as hell it's like you're going on the exact opposite <laughs> thing of what i was doing like what are you doing guy speaking of cold and i i wrote this in my cash crop notes but i'll say it now this and cash crop these don't feel like albums that you play poolside no, like not. these feel like albums you would play at midnight in the dead of winter. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're very. It's almost like hip hop noir. You yeah. know what I mean. They're not just, uh, sunshiny, sunshiny subject matter or uh, or you know or or vibes. You know, in the episode of uh, Entourage where Turtle has that uh, song. That he wants to use for cute Queens Boulevard, and that's where they met Saigon. They like honestly, the Rascals could have used their music could have been featured in this fake Queens Boulevard movie. Yeah, yeah, they could. It's it's it's, it's very gritty, dark. It's got that dark, gritty driving. You know, it's like it's definitely it's like uh, it's like meet me under a bridge. We're gonna my boys are gonna fight your boys. <laughs> or like yeah, do a drug deal. Even though they they don't really talk about that stuff, but it's well, there's. It's interesting, too, because that was another big thing with Misfit is he talked about, you know, they didn't want to make drugs and guns yeah. a focal point of their music. You know yeah, what I mean? They, they, they were, want to be more about the art form and yeah, they take that, that very seriously. Hip-hop. Yeah. And that's why they're very talented because they don't use that stuff as a crutch. And for the most part, they really don't curse too often. When they curse, it's a bit of a novelty. Yeah, I know. Okay, so I believe on Cash Crop, there's one song where um, I think either Red One or Misfit uses the R word, right? And I'm like, that was like shocking to me. Yeah. Even though like you'd listen to like a, you know, any album from that time period in hip hop and they'd say much worse. (laughs) (laughs) Not maybe not worse, but just as bad. You know what I mean? Uh, And it's littered throughout there and you just got to go. Product of the times. I remember when I was listening to that Raekwon album when we were going through the uh, uh, Cuban, built on Cuban links. Yeah. Dear God, you cannot be, <laughs> you couldn't do a covers act of that album today. 
that's for sure. But, um, you know, it, it is interesting. They did keep it pretty clean considering uh, the time. There, there's some fucks. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're, they're, uh, at least I know Cash Crop had a warning out, uh, yeah. warning label on it. Well, but also, I mean, it it's not, it's not gratuitous. It, the only reason it probably has a warning label is all because of uh, Northern Touch, probably because of Checkmate. Guys, cursing the blue streak. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting with warning labels on CDs because there was no rhyme or reason when they handed them out. Yeah. Um, it's not like with, with like movie ratings where like, if it's PG thirteen, you can say fuck once. Yeah, and actually, if you say fuck more than once, it's an R. And I do remember some movies. Um, what was the movie where it would get through? They get two. They get two fucks in a PG thirteen. What was the deal, movie? You know? The uh, the one with uh, John Travolta. He played that character, Chili Palmer. Oh, you're you're thinking of the sequel to Get Shorty, Be Cool. Right, because he actually goes to the camera and someone drops a second F-bomb. He's like, there's your rating right there. No, he says it right at the beginning. Oh, no, yeah, right. That's at the end of the movie. Because at the beginning, he's like, did you know you can only say the F-word once uh, for it to be PJ-13? I said, fuck that. And then at the end of the movie, someone says, fuck it. He's like, there's your rating. (laughs) (laughs) When the first one was littered with cursing. One second. Yeah. This has nothing to do with your podcast. I was so hyped for the Detective Pikachu movie. Huh? This is where PG-13 is. Like, You're allowed one fuck. Yeah. And I wanted Pikachu to say fuck. Does he? I don't think so. Because uh... <laughs> I knew that rule. And I was like, does Pikachu say fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I will say that is weird now. Going to go see like a comic book movie and Professor X tells Logan to fuck off. You know what I mean? Like that's weird now (laughs) the only thing i don't get about those warning labels because the cash crop one was really small and it was like curved but then you you look at like life after death like biggie and i think it's got that like big blocky one it's because cash crop was canadian and that was given a canadian release so the warning label it wasn't released in the states yet because as you know these releases would be staggered right so when the Canadian record industry would put a warning label on a CD like Cash Crop, it would look a little different. Right. There would also be – you remember like Turn the Radio Off by Real Big Fish? When we got that, the warning label was like a black sticker that was on the cellophane. Yeah. It wasn't actually on the jacket. That was another like one where in Canada they were like, hold on here. There's some bad language. They're going to slap one of these. You Americans might talk like that, but we don't up here. <laughs> and uh, that's that's why some of those albums were also like that. Yeah, okay. But it was weird. There was no rhyme or reason. Like I remember getting albums. They'd have no label on it, and they'd be – They'd say horrible things, yeah. Maybe and then uh, you get you get one where they say "fuck" once or twice, and you know, I don't know. All of that stuff proved to be fruitless, basically, over time, and yeah. it really did prove to be a bad system because it was so anyway. inconsistent. At least with the movies, you oh, yeah. understand why something was rated the way it was. Yeah, but also, like, I don't know. I remember my parents putting up a big front about it, making a big deal about it because I was the first. You know what I mean? It's always a big deal for me. My brother never had an issue getting a parental advisory label album, but I did. Yeah, um, when you first because I was the first to cross the line there. And uh, yeah, uh, what's it called? Eventually, they they softened on that. Remember when we first hornswoggled Mike Mean out of that uh, uh, Sublime album? Sublime, for- yeah. For- Harvey Danger, and you had to keep it at my house because you you had to like uh, ease your parents into it. Yeah, no, I convinced my parents uh, that if I got an, if I passed this math test that we had coming up, that uh, I'd be able to have the album. 
They were going to reward me with good grades. I could have this album that had a parental advisory sticker on it. I actually think the Harvey Danger one may have had one of those like stickers on the cellophane in the store, but I like peeled it off or something like that, or I found a version that didn't have it and it was still filled with cursing. Also, um, I, I love how you say good grades, rewarded for good grades when you're, you said <laughs> passing the math test was good grades. So this math test, but I didn't tell them. They were mad when they saw the test. That was like a 10 question quiz. It wasn't like some major test. Are you and up? I did study for it. And I did get like a perfect score on it, but they were mad. They thought I kind of hoodwinked them, but they, <laughs> they kept to their word and I, I, I got the album. Well, and it deserved a parental advisory sticker. <laughs> Good Lord, did it ever. Um, I'll never forget that night you left it at my house before you first warmed it up. I listened to it a few times that night. Oh, yeah? yeah. It's a great album. Yeah. Yeah. Just remove. Anyway, we're not talking about. Pardon me? I said just remove fucking Santa. <laughs> the only song you won't like. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, you know what's funny? Like I do like that song. It's just they've got uh, better songs. Yeah, but also I, I always thing. get. I can't even get past the riff because it also kind of sounds like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, a little bit. The kind of riff. There's some from, similarities. Uh, was it Under the Bridge? Uh, I don't think it sounds like Under the Bridge. Or what was it? There was. Um... I forget. There was uh, one of those early 90s Chili Peppers riffs that they kind of ripped, but uh, either way, it's hmm. relevant. Move on. I've never even thought. I'll, I'll look it up to see what people's opinions on are, are, are online, but I've never even thought of a comparison. It's got a bit of a Chili's vibe to it in the guitar work, but yeah. that's about all. All right. Back to the Rascals. Did you, would you give, though, really live in a passing grade? I would, because uh, it showed what they're capable of. Um and also, you know, their 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 lyrics are especially then they they were they were going with the very '90s, late '80s, early '90s East Coast hard stuff. It was no nonsense, um, but yeah, they were trying to show the jazz influences like De La Soul and Tribe and all those bands. Um, but uh, also, it's interesting how like those guys rely on no funny references none yeah it's, it's not like yeah how like swollen members were a bunch of nerds and like uh so many hip-hop artists like reference random things these guys did not use those as crutches at all i will say coming up not on this album but on global warning there is a song that is very reference heavy on that album yeah and so they would integrate some references as uh, their careers went along but uh, I think for a first album, this is a good uh, first release, and it leaves you wanting more, which yeah. is an important thing. You want to hear more Red One. You want to hear more Misfit. So I'm sure if you saw them live back in the day, you'd want to see more dancing from Zeb Rock and Dinos. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to 1997 and the album that would really make the Rascals cash crop. It was released on BMG Canada. And I was also circulated through their own label, Figure Four Records. And you used to have the Figure Four Records. That logo was on the T-shirt that you bought. I remember. Yeah, I think it was on the that sleeve. Was, it was cool. It was like Mickey Mouse gloved hands, uh, fists, like making a square. Yeah. It was a really cool logo. I remember that now. Wow. Yeah. Good memory. I don't even. Oh, remember yeah, that logo. It's good for music and movies and basically nothing else. <laughs> baseball baseball pretty good with baseball um 
Anyhow, uh, this is the record that put the Matt Rascals on the map. And to date, it is their most successful release, reaching gold status and selling more than 50,000 copies. Uh, DJ Chemo produced it, along with DJ Flipout, uh, who is also from Vancouver. He actually works as a radio host out, out there in BC now. And he's done some break dancing in his day, some acting. Um, now, his acting career is according to an interview I saw him do. I could not find his IMDb page, so I have no idea if he's actually an actor. I, my research was not that deep this week. Um, initially, three singles from Cash Crop were released. You had Blind with the Science. The ability for foreseeing, which you can't allude out to every move, but kind of act too soon, like a typhoon bringing to your town that noon. You can't, he can't find blind, left behind by my scientific mind, you can't. Which was actually released a full two years before Cash Crop hit stores, uh, which was kind of an odd mood. I guess they had it as kind of a single only, and then they put Cash Crop out, and they're like, "All right, we'll include it in this album." Uh, you also had Soul Obligation. Uh, which continues those heavy jazz samples um, that featured on Really Living, as well as Dreaded Fist, which is an awesome tune. Tell a friend and so on and so on. The movement of this dreaded fist no longer will be slept on. Dreaded fist of the Northwest. Gotta be cautious how we exhibit our sound to the people. And probably the first Rascal song I've ever heard. So, yeah. uh, Cash Crops. Okay, now, Brian, I'm about to get into Northern Touch. Okay. I got a lot of notes on Northern <laughs> Touch. So, let's put it this way. Uh, when do we get back into it? As far as tracks go, this album builds. Okay. Okay. All right. We, we, we got a ways to go here. Anything you want to say about the singles, the three songs that I mentioned, Soul um, Obligation, Dreaded Fist, or Blind with the Science? They're good. Um, honestly, my biggest gripe with the Rascals on the whole, and it starts with the early two. It's not until Global Warming, uh, or Warning, sorry, and the next one that it it almost doesn't sound like they're having fun, if that makes sense, because their their lyrics are heavy, the um just the the way the like the songs aren't overly fun and upbeat not until northern touch and that's why like we can just dive into northern touch now because that completely just goes off of like what they were their kind of style of like working do you like do you understand what I'm yeah saying? i know exactly what you mean um, because this one does have that very black and white cold feel to it yeah it feels just like really living felt yeah and they they do a lot of the similar things in fact let's we can skip ahead too yeah. um they do a lot of the simpler things with the hip-hop and the jazz i know the last time i compared it kind of to the conscious rap like de la soul and uh, tribe yeah. this one felt a lot like a fuji's album to me mm -hmm. remind me of the score a lot especially when red one raps in his uh, west indies accent which i fucking love yeah that was good when he does that i i really underappreciated red one red one's phenomenal yeah um see now but yeah. i know why i wanted him on the the young artist for haiti instead of stupid drake because he's phenomenal <laughs> yes i know okay 
It would be. It would have been phenomenal if he was on there instead of Drake. For you and me, <laughs> they wanted to sell this single to make money to help earthquake victims in Haiti. Little kids who still buy records are going to be like, oh, Drake's got a verse. I'm a Drake completist. Let me get this. Whereas, you know, people who are old schoolers who love Red One, maybe they're not as likely to go pick it up. I do think it's a waste of his talent that he's just singing in the chorus and doesn't have a rap solo. But, you know, they had enough. They decided to go with one verse, and that's Kanon's call. And I've not heard much about Red One and Kanon beefing. I'm pretty sure they're friends. So (laughs) you have that. Um, Okay. But yeah, there's there's another song on here. I think it's actually it might be, might have been Dreaded Fist, it's, where it's got that like organ kind of like that boom boom. It almost has like a Gorillas Clint Eastwood kind of vibe in it because it uh, they came out around the same time. But mm-hmm. um, I think they're both out around '98. Maybe Clint Eastwood was after, but uh, either way, it, had, it sounded familiar. But anyway, I yeah. also liked uh, Fit and Ready. But uh, yeah, there's a Fit lot and Ready of, was one of mine too. There's a lot of great stuff on here, and it's enjoyable. As like, see, this is these the early Rascals albums are ones where it's just like ah, except for uh, Northern Touch, they're not ones where you like. I want to skip to this one, this one, this one. They're ones that you start. They're why CDs and tapes were invented because like that's mm. one where you have to start top to bottom. You don't shuffle. You don't. You know what I mean? Because it's to get a full scope of like what they're yeah it's just like a story you know what i mean or it's like uh, and it, it it really is a tale of two bands because and we haven't even gotten into those the fine the other two albums but those are each track felt self-contained on those albums yeah and they're really good but on here you're right it felt more like you're going somewhere yeah it's telling a bit of a story, the album as a, as a set. And that's maybe why Northern Touch sticks out so mad, bad. Not, not bad. It sticks out in a good way. Yeah. But it sticks out because their intention was to release it as a single. And yeah. then they got talked into including it in a, in a re-release. Um, I did think that there was some chuff on here. And it could have been trimmed down a little bit. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I had uh, uh, Temptation, Anatomy, Fit and Ready, like you had uh, Chat Bout and Solitaire. Yeah. Um, as my favorite tracks from this album. The, um, Outside of Northern Dodge. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And Chemo starts to shine a little bit more. They start to utilize more turntables, more trying to mm-hmm. give let the songs breathe a little bit, because this one is, I mean, it is a chuffa, but uh, there is some chuffa, but it's like, what? Uh, I'm trying to find the, the length of it. Eh, it doesn't say. Son of a B. But 18 songs, you know, it's going to obviously probably be around an hour. Um, so you clearly, some of these songs breathe a little bit more, uh, more bridges, things like that. Plus, you know, Northern touch having actual hooks in between each person and, and we're just going to, can we just dive into Northern touch now? Cause I let's got, go into Northern touch. We're going into Northern touch right now. Cause this is really an entity of its own. Like, so I will give you the history of Northern touch and then we can get into a bit of a reaction and then I'll get into some more stories about Northern touch. Ready for this? Yeah. Well, what'd you want to do? No, I was already ranting about it, but just go go ahead, go ahead. Okay. All right. All right. We'll get into Northern Touch. Don't (laughs) worry. All right. Now, we mentioned this back in Maestro's episode, but in 1990, Milestone Radio, which was to be Canada's first ever urban radio station, was denied a license by the CRTC in favor of a country station. 
And this was viewed not only as a major blow to Canadian hip-hop music, but to black music in general across Canada. Now, despite these challenges, groups like the Rascals, as well as their peers, Checkmate, Cardinal Official, Thrust, and Shaclair, as well as Julie Black and Chaos, who were initially supposed to appear on this track, but were forced to drop out due to other commitments. And that would have been a totally different song with <laughs> Julie, Julie Black and Chaos on it. Right? In another dimension, you know, we'll have to call up America Chavez to punch a star-shaped hole through the world so we can go to the dimension where... Do you get the reference? Yes. Okay, to get to the world where uh, that version of Northern Touch exists. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but this is the one we got. Uh, they managed to survive, that group of musicians. And they decided that an anthem was needed to showcase the resilience and determination of not just them, but hip-hop artists across Canada. The result was Northern Touch, which has gone on to become one of the most important songs in Canadian music history and basically changed the game for the status of not just hip-hop, but again, black music in Canada. It would reach number four, it would reach number 41 of the Canadian charts, becoming the first Canadian hip-hop song to hit the top 100 since 1991. Six years without a top without a top 100 hip-hop song in Canada. Um now, initially, Northern Touch was going to be included on a compilation album. That idea was scrapped. They released it as a single, um, but it became such a hit on Much Music that people wanted it, so they put it on a second pressing of Cash Crop and all subsequent pressings. Actually, did yours have Northern Touch on it? I think it did. I remember taping it off of you. Yeah, that's why I bought it, because I flipped it over. I'm like, Northern Touch? I'm in like Flynn. <laughs> Okay, let's, uh, before we get into some facts about um, the song, as well as the fiasco with the Juno Awards, um, I guess start your rant up again. Okay, so, like, yeah, it's it's not, like, any of their other songs to this point, because, first of all, the beat that they use, that, like, like, that's very, it pulls you in right away, right? Because it's kind of a quirky yeah. beat. So right off the bat, you're like, this doesn't feel like a typical Rascal song. And, you know, Cardinal, again, they weren't using many people uh, up to that point. They didn't have a lot of guests. Uh, the next two albums, they relied a lot more on with guests. And I'm okay with it because that's part of hip hop is a very collaborative medium. So it's it's great. Um, but up to this point, it was just the two of them. So this is the first one. Cardinal just busts in, taking charge, living large and taking charge. And then, <laughs> yo, we notorious, huh? Ain't nobody can bang with us. Rascal checkmate, Cardinal and Thrust. Shot clear coming down with the Northern Touch, yo. Why you people wanna bang with us? Ain't nobody can hang with us. Rascal checkmate, Cardinal and Thrust. Shot clear coming down with the Northern Touch, big baby. By the time they get to Misfit, and, you know, they're, they're going against the Rascal's grain of just. You know, Misfit goes for like four bars of just kind of droning on about whatever he's droning. And like when I say droning on, it's not like I'm losing interest in past songs. It just that's what it do. He just goes on his little his way, and then Red One jumps in. This one, you know, it's he's, it's like they're having a conversation back and forth. They're yeah. debating barbs. It's like and they're passing the mic. It's like this would be great live. You know what I mean? And just, but and they 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 didn't do that. You're right. On all of Cash Crop and really living, they never had that dynamic. I never even figured that out until you just mentioned it. 
Yeah, and so I loved it, and and like, and it makes great for the video too because you know Mitzvah's saying something, and Red One's like hopping over him to say his verse, and he pushes him out of the way, and he jumps back in, and um, so and it's just, and it just sounds like there's more life in their voices. It sounds like they're having fun on this one. You got to peer over the ledge to get a glance to know who is the man with the talent. Flipping the words like my body on the apparatus. Sky's the limit, so we're bound to break through the stratas. With these rhymes that are classic. Forget the fads or the fashion. Statements I make on the microphone. Hey, yo, world domination, the base of the foundation. No time wasted. And I don't know uh, what it took to breathe this life into the band, but honestly, without it, I think they're like they probably would have made like three or four like probably well received albums, but. I don't think it, they would. We wouldn't be talking about. Well, we might still be talking about them now, but without this uh, reverence of like how great yeah. the song is, and without all these like these other things that were attached because of the song, you know what I mean? Like the Juno scandal and all these other things. Um, but then you know, you get the other guests, and I, I will say this: I'm pretty sure none of their references, except for maybe Shaw Claire. None of like checkmate and thrust don't really tie into what the others are talking about, but that's okay. But it's still yeah, they they all kind of do their own thing. They're all yeah. just kind of rapping about bullshit, except for yeah. Red One and Misfit. They're rapping about the song. Yeah, like this is what we got for you. Gear up. We are gonna <laughs> showcase. It's it's almost like a carnival barker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ah, come in here and see the freaks. Uh, <laughs> you know I mean? It's kind of like that. Like they're getting you hype for these verses that are about to become. And that's after, yeah, she, she right. Shockler's like, welcome to the party. And they're like, we're your hosts. You're going to love it. And then you're right. The other three just kind of do their own thing. I, I think, I think you're right. I think Shockler's a little more on point because although, he's talking about Canada. He's talking about going to watch Monday night raw and stuff like that. Although it's funny, and then to your point of like, welcome to the party. It's like uh, Shaclair like gets the people in the party. Checkmate is what happens when the party gets out of control because people start a fight, and then Thrust is trying to friggin' pick up a woman at the end of the night. That's like the it's like a tale of a party. But, yeah, <laughs> there you go. It did tell a story. They were kind of cohesive. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Uh, one day. You and me. When we've done enough of these episodes, yeah, uh, we'll probably want to come up with some kind of list of either our favorite Canadian album. We talked about albums. But we'll probably do songs too. Yeah. The only song, and there's so many great songs out there, and I, I would I'll change my mind. I'd walk it forwards and backwards. When I make my top ten Canadian songs of all time, this is the only guaranteed spot on the list. Yeah. Is Northern Dutch. That is guaranteed to be in my top ten whenever that happens. It has to. Be. I don't know where in the top ten, but it's definitely going to be in the top 10 just because it was that important yeah it's yeah because you know it's like maestro boasted about himself and toronto and stuff but he didn't boast as much about the hip-hop scene right whereas like these guys were all just like hey let's up let's lift up canadian hip-hop together all like six of us or five of us no there's six and maestro get his chance when he would put out stick to your vision right yeah. Which is ironically, I think was in the same year. Because that came out in ninety eight. I think ninety eight yeah, was around ninety eight too. So oddly yeah. enough, it's like these both kind of lifting up songs came in the same year. So ninety eight yeah. was a great year for Canadian hip hop. It was. It well it, it brought it back. Yeah. You know? Um oh I should also mention that when my sister uh first met her girlfriend, who's from New Zealand, the first thing they did, one of the first activities they did together to get to know each other was they kind of played each other songs 
from their homes. Okay. And uh, Sharn played my sister, I think, some like crowded house. And uh, she played, uh, there's another band that she played for us. That, apparently there's a big sailboat race in New Zealand every year. And this is like the main theme. I can't remember who sings it. She didn't play any OMC, which, you know, that's what I would have played if I was thinking about New Zealand music. Um, I thought that would get a laugh out of you. Eh. Are you, you know, OMC, how bizarre, how bizarre. I, I was, was going to start from New Zealand. how bizarre, but. Oh, okay. Um, but the first song my sister played for her is, and here's like the songs from my country that I'm proud of was Northern Touch. That's great. And she's not even like a hip hop head or anything no. like that. It's Although just it, Northern Touch is like, perfect. Like the newer kind of like indie hip hop, like the Tyler I don't know. and Chance and all that. I don't know. But yeah, also, she likes Kendrick Lamar a lot. I know that. Uh, and she likes Chance the Rapper. She was in on the ground floor with them. But I, I will I like say this too. And like just going back to the song also did one other great thing. Not that anyone was like beefing. Because you know, I mean, look at the States, right? They had the East Coast, West Coast. In this case, mm. our east or west coast versus kind of like Midwest, <laughs> because Toronto's not full east coast, but like the eastern yeah. half of the province. But uh, uh, it, it was more of like a unifying song, and I just love in the, the scenes in the video where they're all together, just kind of bouncing around off each other, and like everyone's just like having such a great time. Like it definitely seemed like you know how with music videos, it's such a redundant, monotonous process. I could see them like start to finish having fun with this video. Because it was just well, let's talk about the video. Yeah. Let's, t- let's talk about the video. Because it was directed by uh, Director X. That's his name. He's from Canada. Yeah. And he would actually win the Much Music Video Award that year for Best Rap Video. And uh, a little side note about him. This was one of the first music videos he ever directed. And it was so well regarded, the Northern Touch music video, that it immediately put him on the map. And if you look at – it doesn't matter if it's the Rascals, their videos – or Cardinal's video. Remember one Cardinal video I saw with him early? He was dressed like a musketeer. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> you know, and it, like they, they, they looked like Canadian videos. They were low rent. This looked professional. If they were talking about Canada the entire song, you wouldn't know where, where they were from. It right. looked great. It looked MTV quality. Director um, X. Is he also called Little X? Is that the same? Yeah, guy? I believe it was Little X at the time. And now he's Director X. No, no. Uh, Director X has directed yes. videos for, uh, let's see, Future, Black Eyed Peas, Drake, uh, Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, another Future, Lil Yachty, DJ Khaled, more Black Eyed Peas. Uh, <laughs> I just wrote a couple in my script. Rihanna. Uh, How about uh, Ice Cube? I'm, I'm How about DMX? Yeah. Iggy Azalea, Flo Rida, Jamie Foxx. Boo. How about Chris Rock? He did uh, the video for No Sex in the Champagne Room. He directed the video for King Kunta, like Kendrick Lamar. He also directed Freak of the Week by The Marvelous Three. <laughs> Do you remember that song? No. That's a great song. Uh, let's see. And the Canadian, he stuck Shockler's Let's Ride. That's a great song. Oh, it's great. Uh, let's see. Two yeah. Chains, Rick Ross. Uh... How about Corn? He directed a Corn video and a Kanye West video and an Usher video. Street Pharmacy, Sean Kingston, Nicki Minaj, uh, Chaos, Nelly Furtado, David Gilda, uh, Brandy, Common, Maura R. Kelly, Trey Songs, Keisha Shante, The Game. Freddie's okay. He's not going to wake up more. Sean the Ludacris, 
Ray J. Just keep going. <laughs> he directed a video for Ray J. <laughs> okay. Was Ray J the one that because I hey, was there's he two the, the Kardashian sex tape guy? Yeah. I get it mixed up with that guy who had that terrible the Canadian guy with that song No Means No. Do you remember that little idiot? I think yeah. maybe that was Ricky J. No, yeah, I think Jay's Canadian. Ricky J. Ricky. Can't believe you never did it, girl. No means no. It'll yeah. be over in a minute, girl. No means no. Yeah. A little idiot. <laughs> yeah, that song sucked <laughs> when we were like 13 or 14. That sucks. All right. But anyhow. He directed Hot and Her. Sorry, I'm the video. Uh, what, 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 what I was going to put the, in this script here. Is that that improved production video? Knowing that Canadian hip hop videos don't have to look cheap, but the, the thing um, is, if that he, everyone reutilized Lil X and he gave back to uh, to the artists. The thing in a is, big way. If you actually think about it, though, it's not. It's not like it's some Puff Daddy over the top Godzilla video. It's uh, it's literally just them in front of a couple of different colored screens, yeah. right? There's some where it's like red screen, blue, yellow, whatever, and it's so. Uh, but it's just. It's sharp camera angles. It's a lot of takes, so it's good editing. There's a lot to work with. And, uh, and then there's just the random scenes. And it looks clean. Outside. Yeah, it's clean. It looks clean. The videos before kind of looked fuzzy. You know, it looked clean. Yeah, it's, it, you're right. Most of these videos are. We talked about how great a video Money City Maniacs was. And that's just them in front of a blue screen, Sloan. You know, this video, you're right. They're just from different colored backgrounds. There's some chicks. Lots of chicks. Yeah. And they're in like an alleyway in the winter. Yeah. Uh, and that's all they needed. Yeah. Cause it's I, simple. It's because the thing is, I think that's like part of what I was talking about. Cause part of the whole point of Northern touch is hyping up the Canadian hip hop scene. And these guys kind of boasting for each other and building each other up. And that's, you can see that in the video, it transcends it all. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, we don't need something flashy because we're like, <laughs> well, uh, a couple other little tidbits about Northern touch. Uh, it utilizes a sample. Now that do 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 that sample, it's of everything good to you, everything good to your, by the 70s funk group BT Express. Um, a sample would actually be used also in 1998 by DMX on his track, Get At Me Dog. And uh, it's the exact same sample. Uh both used with permission by the group, unaware to each other that, that, that they existed. Uh, but I actually remember seeing Get At Me Dog on Much Music, and I was like, well, what the fuck? What are you doing, DMX? This has been done before. And that was the first song I ever heard of, of, of DMX, way before Party Up came out. So I was like, oh, this is the guy that everyone likes? He's shit. Ripping off the rascals. That was my first impressions of DMX. Go star, this, go star in a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> I think Axe Wounds came, uh, came later. Yeah, yeah. it did. Yeah, it wasn't until he put out the bop that was Party Up that I started to appreciate the DMX. Yeah. Stop calling songs bops. It's a bop. It's a banger. Well, see, you know, it's one thing for me to threaten you when you're in Thunder Bay, but you're going to be here next week, so I'll bop you then. It's about uh, the hot chicken baby. <laughs> All right. Let's get on. Oh, the other thing in 2018, Cardinal Official would rework Northern Touch as a tribute to the Toronto Raptors in a song that would get played uh, before Sportsnet's coverage of the 2018 NBA playoffs. So before every game, we'd play this new version that Cardinal did of Northern Touch. Uh, unfortunately, that year, Cleveland swept us in the semifinals, but we got our revenge the next year. <laughs> Fucking oh, Cleveland. 
Yeah. Well, that was LeBron's last year. Then he went to LA and then LA sucked his first year there. And then uh, the next year they won the title. Uh, but yeah, and now it's Golden State again, and it's just back to square one. You know, it would have been so apropos to had the Raps beat the Warriors, and then that was it for the Warriors. <laughs> but yeah. no, like, why can't they, they just fall apart? Again this year? Like, I was rooting for them to win, though. I don't, I don't give a fuck about the Celtics. I mean, at least the Celtics are a legacy team. Golden State just, I don't know. Didn't they come out like way Golden later? State, no. Golden State started off as the Philadelphia Warriors way back when. Oh. They had Will Chamberlain. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And he's put up 100 points. That was with the Warriors. Oh. And uh, the only other meeting between um, the Warriors and Celtics was back in 64, 64. And that was the, the Boston Celtics against Wilt Chamberlain and the San Francisco Warriors. Yeah. Look at you. A regular uh, Ahmad Rashad over here. <laughs> Welcome to NBA Inside Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like a modern shot. It was weird about him was he's a football player. You know, he's so associated with the it's NBA. Odd that you bring this up because uh, I, the other day your brother and I took Jake out for dinner for his birthday, and somehow yeah. we got on the subject of a modern shot because I think we were talking about um, color analysts that like have no business doing it because it's like not, clearly not their sport. Yeah, and uh, I brought up a modern shot and. Uh, because I think we were talking about football, and Jake's like, "Actually, he is a footballer, was a football player." And he's like, "Well, no, what the yeah. hell is he doing inside stuff for?" Well, he started off when he got into broadcasting doing football, but he's such a great personality that they stopped looking at him as an ex-athlete and started looking at him as just a broadcaster. Oh. So, and you gotta remember, Ahmad Rashad never um, did anal- analysis for basketball. Right. He just hosted the inside stuff, and then sometimes he goes smoke cigars with Michael Jordan and get him to tell everyone that he's not retiring. And that was basically what he would do. I remember one episode he went bowling with a bunch of the guys from the Sacramento Kings, and they destroyed him. And, uh, yeah, he would be, like, doing the funny stuff. You know what I mean? What do you want? Those but, basketball uh, players, it's like halfway down the alley. They haven't even let go of the arm, uh, the ball yet because their arms are so long. Well, it was actually a funny episode because Ahmad Rashad shows up in sunglasses. He's got his own ball. He's wearing a bowling shirt. And then it was like two Europeans on the Kings. But both of them bowled weird. Like they held the ball weird. So it had all this backspin on it. Oh, yeah. So they were getting all kinds of weird spins and getting strikes and stuff like that. And he was he was getting upset. Back to the Northern Touch. It would be funny if Ahmad Rashad's like, off goes the bowling shirt. On goes an ironic bowling shirt. It's like a like old like font. Like he loses the cool stripes. Does <laughs> he wear like a sack of potatoes because he's so bad? I, I, don't, I don't get what you're trying to say. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the Junos, shall we? Okay, Cash Crop would win the Rascals their very first Juno for best rap recording in 1998. However. It was presented during a non-televised portion of the event, and the Rascals viewed this as an insult. And based on how the Canadian music industry treated urban music at this time, who would blame them? Um, Thus, they chose not to accept their Juno in 1998. I remember you telling me about this, because you saw not much news, and you you were all hyped up. How dare they disrespect the Rascals? One year later, following the success of Northern Touch, the Rascals and the whole Northern Touch team 
was invited to perform the song at the Junos. The first time a rap group had ever performed on the Juno stage, Maestro didn't even get that honor. The Rascals, Shaclair, Cardinal, Thrust, Checkmate, they all did. And the best rap recording presentation was moved to the televised portion of the show. And of course, the Rascals would win and they accepted the award. Beef squashed. That's how we do it in Canada. You know what I mean? Hey, I got a problem with you. Really? How can I fix it? It's the States. I got a problem with you. (laughs) Too bad. Tough shit. (laughs) You know? We say the Junos are weird, but you know what? The fact that they realize that they fucked up, that's something I I can commend them on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... You know, it's one of those things. The The writing was well on the wall at this point. Like, hip-hop was not going away. It was only going to mm. get more popular, which it has been. It's been like the... Don- Rock has taken a backseat the last, like, 20 years. Oh, yeah. And uh, so it's like to not honor it or just, like, not move with the times would just be asinine. And they would just be like... It would, it would just make your award show lose all credibility. And uh, yeah. you, know, you can't even call it like a music award when you're basically snubbing like a key genre. Yeah. You notice that the back like in, in like our high school, someone's like, ah, I don't like rap. Ah, you're a rock guy. Yeah, rock guy. Now it's like, ah, I don't like rap. Oh, you just don't like anything modern at all. <laughs> you just don't like music. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like you can't avoid it. You know what I mean? Rap music is just music now. It's everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's because, you know, rap has really tried to use rock as a, uh, um, not a crutch, but uh, just as an added dimension. Instead of using the same type of beats over and over again, they try to utilize just guitars and yeah. all the accoutrement well, of rock. Where we are right now in music, I think like genre is almost like a thing of the past. People are just doing their own thing, regardless of what label gets slapped on them. Yeah. And I think that's great. Well, I to mean, to be honest with you. Like, we talked about uh, Biff last week. Yeah. Guess, if you're hearing this now, it would have been two weeks ago. But uh, it, and like, you know, sometimes certain, and we talked about this with Fishbone, where like, you know, rock and roll is white, rock and roll is black. But back back then, they had to segregate it. Buddy Holly had the yeah. same issue, and with uh, Little Richard, um, you know, it's it almost seemed like you had to pick a stream, and you know, there's radio stations suited to those streams. Whereas like now, it's like you know, Edge 102 plays uh, Macklemore or Eminem. Um, now I, I feel like the the hip hop stations won't play rock, but I mean. The general well, depends depends if it's a hip hop song or not, right? Like on our rock station, um, like we'll play "Run the Jewels." Up, up, well, up here in Thunder Bay, okay. Um, it's very much the the radio station I work for is very much uh, it's it's very much more like a like a Y one oh eight. It's very much it's a lot of classic rock, and the rock right. that's new is very it's it's Foo Fighters or it's 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 the legacy um, rock. Yeah, like uh, legacy rock, Canadian stuff, like the Glorious Sons right. and stuff like that, right? Weezer's new track is big right now. But one song we played for a while, which surprised me, it was Bruno Mars, pop R&B funk artist, Ed Sheeran, pop artist, and Chris Stapleton, country artist. They did a rock song together. 
And you know what? If you didn't tell me it was those three artists, I never would have known that it was a pop song. But it was rocking. So we played it. it and people sounds, loved it. Aside from that little uh, change, it sounds like your, uh, your station's like Grandpa Simpson's. Like, what's hip is weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. <laughs> well, like I said, I think that once the best thing about downloading music was people stopped being narrow-minded about what they listened to when that happened. Yeah. That's what changed the game. Well, it's like... And uh, they start listening to everything because they didn't have to just concentrate on buying one genre. And that's a big deal. When we were in... Remember, we always joke about this and Jonah Hill said it in 21 Jump Street and that basically summarized our high school experience. He's like, like what? People like comics now? And all these other things? And it's like, tolerance? I was born in the wrong era. It's like, same <laughs> with us. Because like, we like all sorts of type of music, right? We like comic books and the Jays and yeah. stuff. And like now all those things are trendy. If we were in high yeah. school now, we'd be cleaning up. We were streets ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, riding off of the success of Northern Touch and Cash Crop, Rascals look to capitalize on the positive momentum by releasing their third studio album, Global Warning, in October of 1999. Uh, just like he was in their previous release, DJ Kimo was in the producer's chair, along with The Alchemist. We talked about The Alchemist during our Swollen Members episode, but in case you forgot, he is the guy who got his start in the hooligans, which was Scott Kahn's rap group. <laughs> Still will never forget that. What was his name? DJ Skrills or something like that? Scott Kahn with his head? Who yeah. Cares? Thankfully, I will say The Alchemist did not bring Scott Kahn with him for this uh, recording session. <laughs> Sales were strong for Global Warning. It reached number 20 on the charts. And two singles were released from this album. You had The Awesome. This is one of my favorite Rascal songs, Top of the World, yeah. featuring Chaos. And this is when Chaos was about to blow up. And reggae legend, Barrington Levy. Robinson Crusoe, I can't feel the warmth of the sun. I'm like Pluto, so I open seven chakras, break the seven seals, bust the dope and poetry rhyme just like Khalil. First time I ever heard him, and he'd be featured on all kinds of Long Beach Dub All Star and Sublime stuff. All those white reggae guys slightly I listen stupid. to hook up with, uh, hook up with Barry to love you. Exactly. Slightly stupid's been with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, of all the people the Rascals have collaborated with throughout their careers, Red One says Barrington Levy was his favorite, and he got chills hearing him record this song. Um, and I've loved this one since the moment I've heard it. It's the epitome of conscious hip-hop for me. Uh, I, and I like it because it's it's, it's conscious hip-hop, but you're not going to get bored of it. You know what I mean? Well, it's, you, you know, I, I, I don't like always being told, you got to expand your knowledge, man. You got to read a book. <laughs> I like sometimes a nice big hook sung by an old reggae guy. I prefer yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's like conscious hip hop, but like it doesn't, it's not in that old vein of conscious hip hop. You know, it doesn't have to have a, yeah. that old vibe, like, cause it's got that nice little Spanish guitar to it and it's just got a nice little steady beat and it's just, everyone is just on point. Chaos is amazing. And Red One, Misfit, all their verses are just so good. And it's a simple but important message. Think globally. Yeah. That's the message. Just be a global thinker. Travel, get some knowledge, get some insight. It's great. Yeah. Great. Love that song. Uh, it would not, oh, <laughs> this track would top 
the only countdown that matters, the much music <laughs> countdown. I always say that, but I always cheered for this one hard to make it, and it did. Uh, it also appear on Much Dance 2001, which is weird because I don't really view this as a dance song. So they must have had some kind of remix. Were you still collecting Much Dances at that point? No, I only had 97 and 98 or 98 and 99, one of the two. But I only had the two, and then I gave up. So here's another cool track about Top of the World. In 2010, the song was sampled by Belgian singer Sela Sue on the t- and it was used as the title track on her EP Ragamuffin. We talked Ragamuffin Rascals. <laughs> um, it's it's just that guitar line. It's just that little guitar line that she does. It's an acoustic song. Um, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. I'll check it it's out. really good. She would actually release it later. It's just like it's it's almost like in the vein of. She sings a little. She doesn't have the quite the pipes of Adele, but it's kind of like Adele's like early stuff, where it's a, it's poppy, but it's light and acoustic. It's really nice. And she uh, actually released another version of it with uh, uh, Jay Cole, the trap artist, later on, and that version's good too. But I like the version without him better. But that's just me. Anyhow, however, on this album, Brian, not everything was conscious. They <laughs> didn't have a very important message for every single song. As can be proved on their next single, or I guess it was the first single, uh, they released Sharpshooter, <laughs> Best of the Best, featuring Brett the Hitman Hart. Without a doubt, I am the best there yeah. is, the best there was, and the no best there ever will be. You know so we walk the path, bring the wrath, best of the best, uh, and we ready to blast, quick, fast, handle the task, and finish them off at any cost, no rules, just avoid the law. Came to win, ain't looking for friends, just to do what we gotta do, be champion, like stomping again and again. A wrestling theme track that predates It Doesn't Matter by Wyclef and The Rock and Ric Flair Drip by Offset and Metro Boomin. I should also mention the song Ric Flair by Killer Mike. I know you like Run the Jewels. Do you know yeah. that one? Puts Ric Flair I've, Drip to shame. That's a way better song. I think I've heard it. Yeah. But. Well, he, his, the hook is just Ric Flair promos. <laughs> And it's just Killer Mike rapping about how much he loves Ric Flair. Yeah. I love Mike. Um, I should also note that Bret Hart doesn't actually rap on this song. So if you're looking forward to that, he doesn't really do that. Uh, It's just more a repeating on the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be over and over again. Some of his other catchphrases. Um, And one month after the release of Global Warning, Bret Hart would win the WCW championship for the very first time. Coincidence? think not you know my only gripe is i wish sharpshooter uh launched in like i like they did their little uh yeah i think because of that great driving guitar and the beat it would have been just like the perfect kickoff track because it would have gotten everyone so hyped the sharpshooter uh, was 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 it the last track it's towards the end of the album right yeah it's the second last song because then at the end there's like blessings which i think is just like kind of like a end yeah of the album kudos thing or whatever but uh yeah, it really should have started it, but whatever. I think they may have been thinking of Sharpshooter like, hey, this is just a fun one we did because we had an opportunity to do yeah. it. It's not really part of our, you know, our story that we've got on this album. So that's sure. maybe why they put it towards the end. But, the, yeah. you know, this goes back into what I was talking about with the, like, you know, with each passing album with like after Northern Touch, it's just, you know, they're having more fun. And like they are. The, like the lyrics, like in top of the world, like they're they're important, but they're not too serious. Um, you know, it just sounds 
it just it's lighter each album gets a little lighter well, it, it, but it doesn't get lighter in like substance or like context it's just it, it just becomes not such like a slog to listen to you know what yeah I mean? yeah it's it's way more upbeat than um than the previous albums it's much more commercial too yeah. which some people may say ah they're selling out but you know what i, I when i was a kid i used to view Bands, whenever they make a, a commercial change, I'd say they're selling out. Now it's like it's the evolution. You got to go somewhere with your career. Yeah. And they were getting airplay. And people wanted something a little bit more accessible on much music. And this stuff was very accessible, but very good. Yeah, That was the difference. The other big change on global warming that we didn't hear really at all on Really Living. And for the exception of, I believe, Solitaire was on a song, and then you had Northern Touch. Without everybody, they really used a lot of guest MCs yeah. on uh, this album. Um, we'd already mentioned uh, so, uh, Top of the World and um, uh, what's it called? Sharpshooter. Yeah. Uh, but Northern Touch stars, Cardinal Official and Chocolair, they contribute lines on this album. Um, Toronto singer Esthero is on here. The Haitian Montreal-based group Muzion is on here, as well as hip-hop legends The Beat Nuts and KRS-One. Misfit says doing a song with KRS-One was the greatest moment of his career. So Global Warning was a big album for both Red One and KRS-One. Yeah. The other guest star, Russell Peters. A pre-fame <laughs> Russell Peters features on this album, doing that racial stereotype thing that got him so famous in the late 2000s. <laughs> you know I softened on him? I mean, you know, it's, you know, everyone has a lane, right? You know, some of the guys, guys yeah. really steer into the basic redneck jokes and that's kind of like, you know, uh, 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 what's his face? Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable yeah. Guy. But like, they're, they might not be bad comedians because you still have to tell good jokes, but you steer into a bit, you know, he steers yeah. into the, the, the racial humor, but it's like, he, he's fun about it. Well, the, the reason I, 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 I yeah, the, the reason I softened on him was, and I used to think, ah, it's always the same. He's gonna make a bunch of borderline racist jokes about people <laughs> in the crowd, blah blah blah, right? But then I saw an interview with him, um, with Mark Marin, and he basically brought up the fact because at that time, like I think Aziz Ansari was just finally kind of getting some work. I don't even think Kamal Nanjiani was out there yet. No. It was basically just him representing uh, East Indians. Um, there was no Asian comics. And yeah, so when was. you grow up in Toronto, you grow up alongside oh, you and you're not a white Canada guy. Russell Peters? No, are you talking about Canada or the States? Because there was a bunch of Asian comics. I'm talking about late 2000s North America. Uh, well, there was What's-Her-Face. I guess Bobby Lee, Bobby Lee, and Sandra, not Sandra O, um, Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho, and there Margaret was um, that, that Asian fellow that was on, like, Living Color for a season or two. Steve Park? Yeah, he was more of an actor. I know. He was an actor, though. Um, but uh, there was another Asian comedian. I mean, I they're still in short supply. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, there was Dat Fan, who won um, the, the first ever Last Comic Standing, and then he went on this show. Colin Quinn used to host host a show. Oh, wow. Um, and it was just comedians sitting around talking shit. Yeah, it was uh, shit. Because I've heard comedians talk about Rogan talks about that all the time. He's like, that yeah. was the greatest show. It was um, a premium blend? That was Is a that show. That called premium blend? No, it was. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's it's. it's well, awesome. he had the unfortunate task of being on a, the panel of that show. 
with Patrice O'Neal, who didn't think he was funny and insulted him so bad. And he had no comeback, no way to defend himself because he wasn't good on his feet. Basically ruined his, his career. I mean, Patrice O'Neill did like. I mean, if he let everyone <laughs> he was alive today, he'd be <laughs> no. If if he if every comedian that Patrice... Patrice... Shit got away with back then, probably. If Patrice O'Neill, uh, if every comedian who got ripped on by Patrice let that derail them, like we'd have no Kevin Hart. <laughs> Uh, Bill Burr probably wouldn't be because I'm sure like they were friends. Oh, they were tight. Those they were, oh no, they got in that bad fight. Yeah, really? They get a really bad fight. Well, but then like producer O'Neill like died like two months later. Uh, but fight? towards the end of his life, they were when he died, they weren't on speaking terms. Those two. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I I'm not going to oh. retell the story on here because I don't remember the details. But I've seen it many was, interviews. Uh, tough crowd. Where he talks about Quinn it. He, tough crowd. That's it. Yeah. Um, but what's it called? Yeah, he he and I watched it and it it gets a little awkward because then you're like, okay, now not everybody's laughing with you. Yeah. Because <laughs> at first it's he's being fun of it, everyone's laughing. Ah, none of us think he's funny, right? But then it starts getting awkward. It's like, ugh, you've you've ruined the party a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, back to Russell Peters. I softened on him because he said at the time a lot of these ethnic groups didn't have a voice in comedy and because I grew up with Jamaicans and Filipino people and everything like that, you know, I could kind of find unique angles that people would appreciate. And he, was say, he said he got he would get like emails from people from Lithuania. When are you going to make fun of Lithuanians? When are you going to do Lithuanian material and stuff like that? So he was a voice for people who didn't have a voice at that time. It wasn't my voice, but you know what? It's one of those things. It's just it's it's. That's okay. Something's right. not for me. That's all right. Doesn't have to be. Not everything has to be targeted towards me. Anyhow. We good? Yeah. Yeah, get quiet. No, I just like, what do you want me to agree? What? The world does not revolve around you, Ted. Not every movie has to be like a Teddy, uh, right up Teddy's alley. It's an important lesson to learn. Yeah, anyway. I learned that in grade five when Mr. Morrison <laughs> Planet Ryan made an example out of me. Yeah. Well, let's talk about okay, global warning as we get back on track here. Would earn the Rascals another Juno nomination for Best Rap Recording in 2000, but they'd lose to their buddy Shaw Claire and his album Ice Cold. I'm sure there were no hard feelings there. Um, I thought this was a great album, Global Warning. Uh, my favorite in their discography to this point. Yep. My only gripe is that it's really long. Yeah. But I didn't really feel there was chuffa. It's just it felt long. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I mean, I viewed it as more tight. Two, two good forty fives. Two an album that should have been chopped in half and released separately. It's yeah, it's twenty songs, an hour twelve. Yeah, Liter- that's literally long. takes up the whole CD back in the day. You can listen to you can listen to really living twice. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, literally half. Let's see, one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Because I don't see the chaos one on here. Because usually Spotify says featuring who, but the chaos one's not on here where it doesn't say. So ten mm. of the twenty songs have guests on it, right? So it's ten songs is just the rascals together, and then ten with other people. So mm. yeah, that is a tale of two albums. Uh big thumbs up for me. Um, my favorite tracks on here uh, were Gunfinger, yeah. Fallen, 
Timoan, Can't Relate, and Where You At. By I the like way, musical test here for you, Sweaty Teddy. Oh, boy. Let's test that ear of yours. When you listen to Fallen, the little uh, chorus that Chaos sings, when he sings really soft-spoken, do you recognize that song, those lyrics? Yes. No, no I do. I do, because I had to look it up. I had to look it up. Hold on. Hold on. I, I did. I Oh, it was... Um, just FYI. Oh, it's the blue uh, New Order. Yeah. Yeah. New Order. It's a uh, bizarre love triangle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't have to look. I remember I made a note of that. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Well, Chaos does that a lot. I don't know how much solo Chaos you listen to, but like there's, he does a great cover of Just What I Needed by the Cars. And, really? uh, oh yeah. Yeah. He does a lot I'll of like 80, he, he's a big fan of like 80s, uh, 80s rock. I had no idea. I mean, I guess yeah. it makes sense when you listen to some of his stuff and how he, uh, uh, how he fuses a lot together, and the fact that he actually, you know, there weren't many hip hop guys that actually play guitar and stuff like he does. So yeah, it makes sense. Like I think Bruno Mars was the next one after him. I'll tell you, if he wasn't so famous, we'd have an episode on him. But maybe we will. I don't know. I don't know. Chaos, like I looked up some of Chaos's stuff. I don't think it was the chart toppers that uh, we think they were. He got to play on Ladderman. Yeah, and Sloan played on Conan. What's your point? That's true. And Blue Rodeo, I think, played on Letterman twice. Yeah. So okay, all right, all right, all right. Well, maybe, maybe next season will be a Chaos episode in the books. I've I mean, already promised a bunch of episodes that we have to deliver. <laughs> so I'm right, Jackson. I can't get. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, I'd say Chaos's biggest claim to fame, and again, this is really niche if you're a sports fan, uh, was Sunday Morning became like the unofficial theme song to Sunday NFL Countdown. Oh, is that right? Yeah, That's cool. all, for like a season or two, whenever they would be going to commercial, it'd just be like, dum, 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 every day is Saturday right. night. And they'd go in. I was like, it's chaos. I got like so happy. I mean, I was like, <laughs> what the hell are you yelling about? I'm like, it's chaos. He's like, don't care. <laughs> all right uh any more thoughts on global warning um no it was just yeah it's a huge step up lyrically you know uh added more more swings getting all these other artists to add more commercialness to it um you know m- musically they took more chances with beats and you know sampling scratching all these things added more um and just, yeah, like it's just all around a great, fun album. And it really built on what became of the next one. Yeah. Well, up next in that next album Brian's referencing was 2002's Reloaded, which was produced again by DJ Chemo, as well as Tone Mason. Now, this is a production team that consists of Don D, Melenius, and formerly Al- Aloysius Brown. Okay, you'll have to forgive me. My script, the printer at work where I printed this off has an error on it. So there's a big streak down here where I can't read anything. So I'm just kind of filling in the blanks with my mind. Um, They produce tracks for Canadian hip-hop stars like Drake, Shaw and Maestro. But they've also worked with Ice Cube, Busta Rhymes, Jay-Z, 50 Cent, Rick Ross. The list goes on. I should also note their expansive television work, which includes Cabral Richardson's Cabbie on the Street theme song. They put that one together as well as the theme for much music's television network, much vibe. Now that was a bop. Do you remember that? Yeah. The M, the U, the C, 
the H, the <laughs> B, the I, the B, the E. It's much vibe. Word up. It's much vibe. <laughs> Were the rascals in that? Uh, like, I'm sure they were featured on Much Vibe, but... I mean, that promo. Oh, I'd have to double check. Because, like, Cardinal was in that, Mishimi was in that. I don't remember if the Rascals were in that. Uh, uh, the guest on, list... On YouTube. I'll if you could find that, and they are in it, that'd be a great... For the Instagram. I'll check. Continue. All right. All right, well, the guest list here... Um, it's as expansive as it was on Global Warning. Cardinal Official, Solitaire, and Chaos are back. Montreal rapper Tara Chase and the Scarborough hip-hop duo IRS absolutely kill it on the track Done Did It. That was one of my favorite tracks here. And uh, the album also features American singer Notch, who does the killer e-worm of a hook on Crazy World. Uh, when Crazy World was... I love that song. Uh, Wikipedia tells me Notch worked with Sublime at one point. I cannot find any proof of this. If you want to prove that I'm a bad Sublime fan, show me where Notch worked with Sublime, and I'll be happy to be humble. Eat a big <laughs> slice of humble pie. Um, speaking of Crazy World. Get into the lineup, because you could get it. All you got to do is sign up. Are you close to water? Better have your in order. Because brown is brought to As I mentioned, I love that song. It's got that great organ that pipes through it. Uh, it was one of two singles released from this album. In fact, Brian, you may remember this. There is a video that Park Hill took of me grooving out in my living room to this song. It was on TV, and Jake just had the camera moving, and I was dancing to it, uh, that we did uh, before we filmed our acclaimed high school film, Becoming Jennifer Lopez. I don't know if you remember Really? That. Yeah, we, we were on either on your way to record it or we were going to record the song of me entering and you showing me that Alex was going to be my hairstylist for the uh, for the video, <laughs> me being all upset. Uh, but I'm just sitting on my couch, Park Hill's testing it, and Crazy World's on the TV, and I'm kind of doing that Conan O'Brien dance oh. from The Simpsons. <laughs> kind of doing that, and Park Hill filmed me. So. That's funny. Yeah, but I love that song. Like, do, 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 do. And it. it's, it's funny, if you actually think about it now, I mean, I know this is like more of a post 9-11 song, but when you think yeah. about uh, when he's talking about having your shit in order, it's more true <laughs> now with all the pandemic and like vaccine shit and all this what, whatnot. I mean, now that both countries have kind of uh, eased off restrictions and stuff, but uh, it's for a while. It was very poignant. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I should have had my. Maybe I should have taken a lesson and had my shit in order when we went to the border that one time. The guy yelled yeah. at me for not having a passport. You're all up my ass. I should have just started singing Crazy World to you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, the other single from Reloaded was Movie Star. That was another bop of a song. She looked like a movie. Oh, you play it. I don't need to sing it. Never did this before. Please be gentle. Well, she looks like a <laughs> there we go. I haven't given you enough cues in this uh, episode, so there you go. Sometimes I got the big matzo ball hanging out of my mouth there, and I'll be like, play it, Brian, and you just play nothing. <laughs> well, sometimes you're like, play the wag, uh, waving finger of shame bit. <laughs> I can't find it. I've looked for it. I can't find it either. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, Reloaded was a hit in Canada. It reached number 22 on the Canadian album charts. It would become the third best-selling album of that year by a Canadian artist. 
The Rascals would also develop a big following where Germany. Germans love the Rascals. Reloaded would reach number 14 on the German black music charts. That's the name of the charts. Relax, Ted. I'm not the PC police. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's just the name of the chart. Well, what's it called? They, they, yeah, I remember, because actually the, the, the term is still quite racist in German um, to describe a black person. It is. Because uh, I remember, do you remember there was a show? I don't remember what it was called. It was this cartoon, and the animation was really weird. It used to be on Fox briefly. It was about like teachers, and Henry Winkler did one of the voices, and he played like, I think Will Arnett did a bunch of voices on it, but he played like a German teacher. And he gets called into the principal's office. He's like, I keep telling you, there's no non-racist way to say black and German. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Henry Winkler doesn't that sad sack. It's so weird about him. He played the Fonz. And now he's known for playing like sad sacks all the time. Well, he's also just, he's a good actor. But uh, apparently he's the sweetest man. I have heard nothing but wonderful things. With the, I think maybe the only thing with Henry Winkler is you meet him, he's a little too handsy because he'll grab you. Yeah, excuse me, you hang Henry Winkler. Yes, he'll grab your shoulders. What do you need? How are you? Yeah. It's a little too intense. Although it's, uh, <laughs> I heard he's a wonderful man. Bill Hader has a lot of Henry Winkler stories because they work together. Oh, yeah, on they work together. But also, yeah. like, I guess his kids go to the same like school as his like granddaughter or something or grandson or something, and so he's like, "Hello, Bill. Here we are." At the school, he's just like, yes, he's just like, just like narrating what's happening. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, this is another great album. I'm definitely a much bigger fan. You know what? So let's divide the career in half. Conscious hip hop of Cash Crop and Really Living, the fun stuff of Global Warning and um, Reloaded. I-, I like the latter catalog better. Oh. It's, honestly, I was thinking about this because I was uh, I was picking up some things at Walmart today, and I was just I was I had my headphones in and I was just walking around listening to Reloaded. And I, I, honestly, I was like, each album just got better and better. I, yeah, I, I I don't think it's a huge leap to say this might be one of my. I, I got, it's really close between. Global I Warning. think this and Global Warning are on par with each other. Yeah, yeah. But if somebody was but to say both... to me, this is their best album, I would not disagree. But it's just it's yeah. more about what your preferences are. Because this kind of this kind of taps into the, you know, early two thousands, you know, the 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 tide of hip hop was shifting at the time. And, you know, I think they rolled with it very well. They weren't trying to like be stuck like we've talked about certain artists that are kind of like this album kind of is a time a remnant of a few years prior. It's like where was this thing in nineteen ninety seven? You know what I mean? Where it's like yeah, like these guys. I think they're they stayed with the times pretty current. They did. They did without being trend chasers too. They yeah, they always exactly. had their own thing going. Yeah, and one of their own things was I love it when I mentioned this earlier when Red One raps in his uh, West Indies accent and the West Indies influences were huge on this album, and uh, I loved it. Um, every song had a different vibe to it. Um, I particularly liked Claw, Fire, Murderer, and even though I already mentioned it, Dunn did it. Those are those are my favorites off of this album. Yeah, yeah. Any yeah. other ones you want to throw in there? I uh, hit him up. Uh, I also loved Shit. What was it? Um, 
I want to say it was murder or warrior or one, or maybe it was stop drop. Shit. There's one where they drop a bunch of like Illuminati references because there's something about hip hop and uh, being there. Like, there are a lot of nerds about conspiracies and stuff. And they're all like, and I thought that was just funny. They're like, because this is early 2000s where this is post 9 11 when conspiracies were making a comeback. Yeah. And so I thought it was like interesting, but. that one grabbed me by shit i can't remember i think it was early on in the album so i think it was either one shot or stop drop but uh yeah the the whole album is great no complaints well shockingly this would be it for the rascals red one would put out a solo album in 2007 called beg for nothing on his own kilowatt record label i actually listened to the entire this in its entirety uh it's pretty good there's some chuff on it. It's like, it's like, you know, it's overly long. It's the same thing. All the songs are good, but just no restraint. Um, I do recommend the song. She rude. Got a nice ska reggae vibe to it. If you ever want to hear a ska hip hop song, check out. She rude. Misfit would make the move to the East coast where he worked for a while in radio. And in 2019 rascals would make headlines when really living was released on vinyl for the very first time. And it looked like there was going to be some new Rascals material in 2021 where they were credited as being a featured artist on the track Note to the City by Vancouver-based rapper Boslin. Unfortunately, it was just a sample of Red One's verse from Blind with the Science from Cash Crop. That's all it was. They just he just played that exact it wasn't they even they brought Red One to the studio to rap it. He just replayed the version off the album. Well, that's a bummer. <sighs> To add insult to history, insult to injury, the track is listed as an interlude in parentheses. Hmm. So it's not even an actual song. Just one of those filler things that get put on hip hop albums for some reason. Thanks, De La Soul. <laughs> um, blame them for it. Um, I should also note, circling back to a previous episode, Bosslin credits Kid Cuddy for saving his life. So Pete Davidson isn't the only one who credits Craig. Kid Cuddy for saving his life. Remember that episode? I forget what it was. You're like, Pete Davidson said Kid Cuddy saved his life. Who would think Kid Cuddy? Well, this Boston guy does too. <laughs> so there you go. According to their social media, the Rascals are touring this summer with Cardinal Official and Toe, uh, doing mostly festival dates. And the majority of their social media posts are just videos from old TV appearances and music videos from the nineties, basically what we put up all the time, <laughs> the rascals. That's basically what it is. If you follow I'm them, um, I'm just going to share it from their page. To us. Yeah. And I tried looking the rest of them up. Red one's IG profile is private and misfit doesn't have a social media, uh, excuse me, at least an Instagram account. He doesn't have. So <laughs> didn't look up chemo. I'll look him up right now. See if I can get him. Hold on. Don't want to leave you out, DJ Kimo. Oh, there we go. Much vibe. Hold on. I got the original DJ Kimo. Oh, here we go. 973 posts. Okay. He seems to be doing pretty good. This is a show he's got coming up. uh, An 80s hip hop night. He's DJing at Golden Golden. Um, Well, there he is with the Rascals. And Cardinal Official. Oh, this is the same post that was on the Rascals thing. So he's doing fine. Bunch I mean, of video stuff. He's still, he, he gets like bar DJ gigs too, DJ Kimo. I mean, like. much, much like after Jurassic 5 broke up, like Cut Chemist was still getting tons of work yeah. because, you know, if you're good at what you do like that, you'll be in demand. 
Yeah. So chemo's have at, at no shortage of of work right now. Uh well, unfortunately, the song Northern Touch is kind of overshadowed. We talked about this earlier, the Rascal's career, even in Canada. Um, well, that is the most hip-hop, important hip-hop track in Canadian history. There's a great group behind it. Brian, why do you think, and we talked about the, you know, through this episode, we never really mentioned any sort of break that they had in the U.S. They did work with KRS-One and some American artists. Why do you think that break never came the rascal's way? Um, I think part of it is too. Uh, well, I didn't even say the first, but uh, I mean, maybe it's the Canadian. You're like uh, again too. <laughs> uh, the Canadian references obviously can be a little alienating because it's not like when Springsteen talks about being in a northern Jersey town, or it's like I can still relate to that even in like wherever. You know what I mean? Where it's like. They're talking about me and Danny O with the Sky Dome, and like, I don't know what the fuck this is, and the, but you know what I mean. Um, or the so there's that. Um, I think the other thing is just the late '90s, 2000s. There was just such a huge uptick in hip hop, oversaturation. You, I mean, would you don't have to be the best of the best. The you know the cream doesn't always rise to the top because we've heard so much god awful hip hop that somehow got played and the much music and MTV and stuff, but um, it's just, sometimes it's, you got to catch lightning in a bottle and either, either hitch your wagon to the right guy. Like look at like some of the people that Puff Daddy signed or uh, Rockefeller records, uh, with Damon dash. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those, like sometimes you got to get with the right people. Sometimes you got to catch like your, the right wave of like, you know, what you're doing, has to be in simpatico with what everyone else is doing and it just got to catch a break. So I don't know, maybe they weren't fully doing what everyone else was doing. Maybe they weren't making the right connections. Obviously KRS one is a great one and beat nuts, you know, goes back to like tribe and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's, that's the best mumbly answer I can come up with. You know, I remember Back in the early 2000s, back when Bacardi slang came out, Cardinal right. Official. Now, he, he did have a hit in the U.S., Cardinal Official. It wasn't Bacardi slang. It was dangerous. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember Cardinal Official comes out with Bacardi slang, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I go past BET. And there's the video for Bacardi slang. So I was like, oh, cool. You know what I mean? Like, they're playing a Canadian artist. So I stuck around and watched it. And it was 106 in Park. And they were doing this thing on the show where they play a new video and then just interview the live audience. What'd you think of that? Yo, tell me. They fucking loved it. Really? This one guy in particular got up and he was like, and they knew he was from from Canada. They mentioned this guy's from Toronto. um, And he went off about how much he loved it. He, but one of the big things that he went off on this guy was just a random guy in the crowd at 106 and park was, he liked how he used so many West Indies slang and how West Indies artists are criminally underutilized in hip hop. People think if you're Jamaican or from the Caribbean, you're a reggae artist or a, you know, um, dance hall artist. Right. And he was like, we need more Carnell officiality. He just <laughs> loved it. Right. I wonder. And, and then I never saw Cardinal official played again on BET. It was this one moment. They fucking loved them, and I never saw them again. Right. 
I don't know if, if people saw it, if, if maybe that was a mark against them. Because while they don't come out full blown and say, you know, we got Caribbean roots, Red One, you know, Misfit doesn't really do this, but Red One will rap in his accent sometimes. Right. You know, he uses a lot of West Indies slang. I wonder if that made if that made them hard to market, you know? And then also when your back catalog is so much more in line with conscious hip hop, and then your latter half, the one that I think you could market to a widespread audience, um, is so vastly different. I wonder if that troubled them too. I don't know. I am surprised that something from Global Warning or Reloaded didn't break through. Yeah. I am surprised about that. Yeah, Movie yeah. Star, there's no reason Movie Star couldn't have been like a very mainstream kind of track. That's Top a great the- earworm. Yeah. yeah. Top of the World is just, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not as much of an ear, earworm as Movie Star, but it's just a phenomenal track. And I know. It's just... Um, that's the thing. The 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 best, like I've said this before, the best stuff that people do doesn't always get the recognition it's des- it deserves. Like it's you know some throwaway song. Like look at Blur. Blur has a a decent catalog of like back stuff. What really makes them pop? That friggin' muddled droning song too. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> that that literally Damon Albarn wrote in fifteen minutes. <laughs> Uh, that song is objectively awful. Uh, oh, it's fun though. It's, it's good fun, yeah, but it's just it's just such yeah. a sloppy, just nothing song. It's, it's a two minute it's song too. It's the second song of the album. Just keep the momentum up. Woohoo! Yeah. That's all you need, right? You got his head shaved. But <laughs> that's the thing because of his mumbly accent. Sometimes I'm pretty sure I've misheard certain certain uh, lyrics in that song, but. Um, but yeah, so that's the other thing too. It's like if the if the Rascals ever did get hit, uh, get a song that pops that hit, it wouldn't have been one of their best. It would have been some like, you know, song that was an afterthought. But unfortunately, yeah. it's. Um, yeah. I think that's another big disappointment. Like, I don't want to overshadow Misfit because Misfit's a great rapper in his own yeah. right. But Red One is phenomenal, and how. And unique too. How nobody like like KRS One or like Most Deaf or Common or somebody noticed him and yeah. put him on a track or Q Tip. You know him and Q Tip together would have been phenomenal. You know what's hilarious? Put him on a track. That's that's come on. You know what's hilarious? I was thinking yeah. about this the other day because I was listening to some Oswald Motley. Um, yeah, and just because that friggin' your name is Mud, <laughs> <laughs> still cracks me up. You're listening to Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yeah, well, I was listening to other is. stuff, but I did listen to that one too. But uh, yeah, um, also they performed that live on that Jules Holland show back in the day. You can catch find that on YouTube. I've it's, seen that. It's yeah, a good performance. Um, yeah. but I was thinking about it. I'm like, let's say you know Jurassic Five. You know, it's been long enough. They never reunite. I think to try to get some of the higher voices. If, if tuna wanted a new Jurassic five or something, I think he read one would be a great offset to his, like he'd be in the higher <laughs> register. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't think red one would be a good fit for J five. Red, red one wraps too fast. Think so. 
Yeah, he'd be he'd be a fun featured artist on a track, but I I, I think that they've got the. Well, I'm not saying Jurassic well Five. It's just like I know, I know, I wanted know. to form it's a exact... new group with different distinct voices, but. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Although he'd probably go with uh, what's his face, Talib Kweli, because they're friends, and he's got another yeah. high pitched voice like Red One. So. Yeah, but again, he raps differently. Yeah. Um. The, that's why he's just so unique. I really think that Red One could have really, really. Yeah. Put some bops out there. Well, it's yeah. like you know. But you know what? Charlie Tuna Fish is uh, he's he's in demand on guest guest spots because of his great vocals and uh, his great lyrics. You know, Red One could have been, been like a higher registered tuna fish is in demand <gasps> as hooks. But maybe that's the other thing too. He wasn't really a hook guy. Let me put down this too. He's yeah, you're right. He wasn't a hook guy. You know, they bring in, like we talked about earlier, they bring in a guest to do their hook on their latest yeah. out efforts because the first couple efforts, they just didn't have hooks. Yeah. Um, do you think that maybe the issue with Jurassic 5 not breaking, not Jurassic 5, the Rascals <laughs> breaking through in the US was maybe they just didn't market enough down there? Do you think that might have been it? Well, that, it could have just is... been a lack of market. Because right now, they, they haven't been doing anything for over a decade. And like I know they're touring right now with Cardinal Official, but well, if they put even just some Spotify singles out, people would eat it up with a spoon. Well, that's yeah, that's the what I don't understand because unless I mean maybe it was industry burnout because they did put four albums uh, or three albums out in like what four years? Yeah, it was yeah, it was fast. Yeah, ninety seven, like ninety nine, two thousand and two, so like three albums and. Mm-hmm. Five years, it's a lot. A lot of turnaround. Not to mention, it's not like they're like some sloppy, like, eh, we'll give you eight songs and be happy with it. You know, they're 20 songs almost every album. You know what I mean? So they put a lot in everything they do. Yeah. So, uh, like, I, maybe they were just burnt out after this album, but like, the was the split did this say anything about a fight or just any in in problems or just no like, the, they're the the three of them are together right now touring with Garnell. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure if they had to patch that up at all, but uh. Yeah, I, I don't think past. so. But I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know why they didn't just take a break and keep going because, like, like I said before in the sh- earlier in the show, hip hop has been in a renaissance and it hasn't stopped for twenty years. Like, it's not like they mm-hmm. were like, you know, maybe they missed that wave, but it's like, you know, in their in the aughts, the twenty tens, when like the new wave of like air quotes kind of conscious hip hop in the form of like Macklemore, Kendrick, all these people. Um, Kid Cudi, maybe they could have caught a wave with that. You know what I mean? Depending on what they were doing musically, but we'll never know because they stopped making music. Well, they're not dead. No. And they're still touring. The door is always open. Yeah. And hopefully they take a walk through it because I'd love to hear some new music from them. Not to mention, like, you know, the... I mean, I, I know they haven't left Canada, I imagine, because some, you know, some musicians go to try to do a thing in the States and whatever, but it'd be interesting to hear, like, their takes of global politics the last 10 years or something, because I'm sure they probably have a very unique voice and distinct way of looking at it. You know, they're not just going to tow some, uh, like, every line that everyone else is saying. They'll say it in their own rascal's way. Well, that's the thing. They they have done everything their own way, which is not even with a short discography. It's not something that every single that any band could say. Yeah, you know, to actually put out four albums the way you want to put them out and get your message across the way you want to do it. That's a huge thing. Yeah, and that's something they should be proud of. 
And regardless, if they ever put out another album, they are Canadian music legends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and they still have legions of fans across the country. So hopefully their story doesn't end on this episode of Canned FM. Hopefully we'll do some kind of other episode about them. So we're going into a little period here where I'm actually going to be going from Thunder Bay to Southern Ontario. Actually, on Friday, we're recording this on Sunday. Friday, I'll be in Southern Ontario. So me and Brian will do our first show together at that point. Yeah. In year. person, together in the same room. A year Don't and know a what half. it's going to be. I've got an idea, which I'll share with you off mic. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's going to be a first. So don't know the topic. It's not going to be an off topic, but it'll be a little bit different. All right. So we'll see what it'll be. We'll see what it'll be. See what it'll be. There we go. Now I'm talking like a normal person again. All okay. right. Jim Carrey and pretty much any movie he's ever made. <laughs> oh, type 45. Well, more like a type 217 <laughs> tonight. When All right. add musical breaks and stuff, it'll probably be a tight 230, maybe 240. Well, you'll probably remove some of this stuff at the beginning, and then we yeah, had to take that bit break because Fred woke up. So, yeah. well, we'll we'll cut some stuff down. But until next time, it'll still be a very long podcast. For those of you who like a long podcast, don't worry. <laughs> well, my, nice uh, give a quick shout out to Jordan, who uh, gave us a very kind message. I coach his daughter, Nora. Yes who uh, I told you is uh, small world is the niece of a guy we went to high school with. <laughs> yes, he was. she is. You told me that. Yeah. So uh, he, he says he likes the log podcast cause he takes his dog for a nightly walk and he'll uh, listen to him then. So yeah, see, I like the long podcast too. I listen to our podcast when I mow the lawn. Really? I like it better than music. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do that. A cause the, the lawnmower would drone, uh, drown us out. But uh I listen to us enough when I'm editing stupid thing that as soon as I'm, yeah. I'm like a, I'm like a film director. As soon as like, as soon as the thing is out, I, I never go back and watch it again. It's like, I spent enough time in the editing room. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Ted. I'm Brian. Coming to Oh yeah. Well, you're just sitting there staring. What's that they do with saving, saving Silverman? Oh, yeah. That's his, his Jack Black, like, cover the whole yeah. All right. <laughs> and then Jack Black. Well, that's what, that's what Steve Zahn does. And then Jack Black is just like, yeah. Lynch. <laughs> 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 <laughs>